0: Brothers Podcast, 5 Pillars Production Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, My dear brothers, sisters, friends and the foes out there And welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers Podcast with your host Didi Hussain Today we have a very special guest and I mean this I mean this in light of he is perhaps one of the most spoken about individual in Muslim social media In British terms one could even describe him as the Muslim Marmite Either you love him or you don't but the point here is, he had to be on this pod- podcast and it's well overdue. That is the founder of Al-Asna Institute and the Muslim Skeptic blog site, joining us from Houston, I believe in Texas, Daniel Hakikatu. As-salamu alaykum.
1: Wa alaykum as-salamu Dan, how are you doing? Alhamdulillah, doing good. How are you doing, Dili?
0: Alhamdulillah. Just to clarify, you're not going to write me off after this podcast for describing you as Marmite, are you?
1: I don't even know what that is.
0: <laughs> so Marmite is this kind of what is Marmite bro? It's like a spread isn't it? It's like a very weird spread. Yeah, it's a spread which the British say either you love it or you don't. There's literally the, adv- the advertising of Marmite is you love it or you don't. There's, there's nothing. I thought,
1: okay, now I know. I, isn't this an Australian thing? I didn't know they have it in UK too.
0: Well, well, you know what I mean? We did send our prisons over there to wipe out the people. So <laughs> I guess it's more or less the same thing. How's things bro? Good Alhamdulillah, you know. It's good to see you. Trying uh, to keep busy. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Right, listen, before we get into the crux of today's podcast, which is going to be about essentially everything that's been happening in the Muslim online sphere uh, with yourself, uh, as well as various individuals and institutes and so forth, before we get into that, uh, I want to first and foremost congratulate you on your uh, engagement uh, with uh, Ridwan, or better known as the Apostate Prophet. Um, may Allah accept it from you. I mean, I know uh, I know the Muslim online sphere was uh, very much in your praise uh, for the last week or so. So let me just touch upon about this uh, Hajibe individual. Uh, before you, once this engagement was agreed with Ridwan, right, did right. you have any expectations about him in terms of the kind of caliber of your interlocutor?
1: Yeah, I thought that he would actually uh, have the, <laughs> intelligence to prepare at least something and have arguments i didn't expect him to have good responses or good kinds of uh arguments uh to come to to come to the debate with but um he didn't even meet that very low bar of expectation that i had so i mean this genuinely i have spoken to other ex-muslim mortad uh online social media figures and they get tripped up when you ask them certain things about their worldview, about their commitments about uh, colonialism about the history of this atheistic liberal secular uh, juggernaut that's been destroying uh, the world so they usually don't have anything substantive to say but at least they are conversant with the issues but unfortunately Ridvan wasn't even conversant and he didn't seem to know much about colonialism at all.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and I guess, I mean, it, it seemed like a near consensus amongst even Muslims and non-Muslims who saw the engagement that you were clearly the one who came with the most powerful arguments, um, quite uncontested, um, you know, were the unequivocal victor. Um, but that kind of led to then a public outcry from him uh, and a kind of a meltdown. Uh, were you surprised with that meltdown afterwards?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was surprised because I didn't think he would show how how it had gotten to him. Uh, because he immediately uh, messaged me after the stream and said, "You're you're unethical. Yeah, uh, you're unethical because we were supposed to just have a conversation, <laughs> not a debate." And I said, "Well, first of all, you are marketing it as a debate. You said that apostate prophet versus Daniel Hayrajoo." so that's your marketing is a debate and second of all in a conversation i have many conversations with people uh, on podcasts in real life and i speak in the same way with reasons with uh, evidence if i'm going to express my opinion i want to, it to be an informed opinion uh, so my conversations are exactly of the same nature so he either doesn't understand like what a conversation means Uh, or he's just, you know, having some sour grapes. But uh, he immediately went and started messaging me saying I'm unethical. Then he did a live stream on his channel, describing me as dishonest, the dishonesty of Daniel Mm -hmm. Haigadju. And it was shocking to see that he actually had an anxiety attack on on his live stream. So it's not very smart like even if you're having anxiety attacks why are you showing that to your audience
0: (laughs) that could that that could be for me kind of you know trying to get maybe some sorrow some sympathy from some some of his followers i I mean when i saw that anxiety attack he had i also thought to myself from a pr point of view you're not really demonstrating and strength to your to your fellow apostates right an atheist you know but then i realized i thought this could be some drama tactic to basically. Gain sympathy as a cover up for the very humiliating defeat he had in your engagement But I was truly shocked bro when I saw the lack Not even lack, the absence of any intellectual depth Now we've seen many engagements between atheists and ex-Muslims And as you rightly mentioned, some of them or Muslims would at least come with some kind of informed argument As weak as they may be and they get dismantled eventually But this guy came with nothing um, And uh, so, so I take it he was just there for the taking for you, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, they. a lot of these atheists have a kind of false sense of security or arrogance because they think that they have no beliefs of their own or commitments of their own. Mm. They think that all they need to do is show how ridiculous religious belief is and believers are. So they're in this constant attack mode. They're never put on the defensive in many of these conversations that they have with Christians or Muslims or whoever. But uh, the key, really, in my opinion, to engage with them is put them on the defensive. Uh, They do have many beliefs, they have many commitments. They might not call them religious, uh, per se, but they are deeply held values that they have. So once we put the pressure on that, make them justify what they believe in terms of secularism, in terms of these liberal values, make them have to justify it, and let's see how much their beliefs stand up to scrutiny.
0: I mean, I mean, j- just to add on to that point, do you see that one of the reasons why, unfortunately, we see a number of Muslim public figures or people who are uh, involved in uh, apologism, that one of the reasons why they don't come across as empowering to the Muslim Ummah is because when they engage non-Muslims from various ideological persuasions, is that they tend to engage with them on their framework. And that's one of the kind of one-on-one mistake that we always make, whether we are discussing secular liberalism or feminism or, or whatever it may be, whatever ism it is, we always, what I've seen very common is that Muslims will start the conversation by firefighting by, and, and, and basically conforming to their framework as if that's the default of the truth. Um, And and very rarely do we question the epistemology of their claim to what they think is should be the default. Do you understand what I'm saying here, Dan?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that we can't buy into their larger framework of thought. That's easier said than done because you don't necessarily know uh, because of the education in the modern world, the mass media, a lot of these secular liberal ideas have seeped into the Muslim mind, unfortunately yeah. And sometimes the Muslim doesn't even recognize that Oh, this idea that I'm saying or this value that I'm propounding mm-hmm. Actually, it's not Islamic at all This is coming from uh, this liberal val- these liberal secular values So I agree with you completely We have to put things on our own framework Understanding what really is the Islamic framework and how it's different from what else whatever else is on offer that's um, a little bit more challenging but it's very plaus uh, doable and we can definitely take that as a strategy in these conversations
0: yeah I mean for our listeners and views when I, when, I, when I just when I, mean, I made that comment about uh, many Muslim uh, figures they engage in this manner it's not because they intention well many of them from my understanding I don't want to make a kind of a unequivocal statement on their on their iman or anything, but it's not as if they intentionally now go and engage on a framework, which is essentially kufri. It's it's that we've become so programmed to not knowing any other language or not knowing any other framework that we too have, whether knowingly or unknowingly through years of institutionalization and, and, and the whole kind of educational program that we've basically just accepted these things to be the default. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Obviously, in the aftermath of the engagement with Ridwan, Twitter and Facebook was like singing Dan's praise and everyone was like, MashaAllah, today was a victory for Islam against this and etc, etc. And what I also saw were people who had previously criticized you, people who had previously sat on the fence regarding yourself. And people who basically, by people I mean Muslims, who basically said, look man, this, this, this is the kind of stuff we need to be supporting Dan for. This is the kind of stuff that Dan needs to be doing more of, you know. Did you notice those comments as well?
1: Yeah, some of the comments were like that, like, yeah. why is Dan, Daniel needs to focus on these kinds of debates or these issues exclusively?
0: Okay, so moving on from engaging ex-Muslims and atheists to what you've Practically coined as compassionate imams, right? Um, and basically this kind of a, uh, you know, a pub- public accounting of a, a prominent uh, Muslim figures um, In terms of your priorities, in terms of priorities of the da'wah Because da'wah is so multifaceted, there's so, many, there's so many aspects of da'wah Da'wah to Muslims, da'wah to non-Muslims, da'wah to family, da'wah to the community, da'wah to your peers, etc, etc Where do you prioritize Engage the the kind of engagements you had with Ridwan and the kind of calling out of compassionate imams
1: So I think they go hand in hand At least that's the way I view it uh, Because the same arguments that I would make against liberalism, against secularism, against feminism Against a murtad or an atheist Those are the kinds of belief systems that are affecting Muslims as well, exactly like we discussed, they've been programmed, in your words The Muslim community has been programmed with these ideologies Who is doing the programming, right, who is doing the programming, in large part it is these, what we sarcastically call, compassionate Imams Can you
0: elaborate on what a compassionate Imam is please, just for our viewers and listeners who, who have not uh, embarked on the, or come into contact with this uh, phrase this term. Yeah, what is it? What com- is a
1: compassionate Imam? Compassionate Imams are those who think that we have to water down Islam. We have to. We the only dawa that's acceptable is a dawa that uh, is sugar coated. Uh, this kind of cotton candy Islam, because we don't want to alienate anyone. If we uh, teach certain aspects of the Qur'an, if we teach certain aspects of the sunnah and the seerah and our Islamic tradition, that will alienate the Muslim community uh, and there's a potential that someone might leave Islam. If they hear, for example, that uh, an imam can only be a man, a woman cannot be the imam, it's only a male role, oh, this might offend some, one in the Ummah, they might become alienated from Islam and they might leave. So we better not talk about iman. <laughs> we might, okay. not, we, we better not talk about this issue explicitly. So this, they do this out of a sense of compassion, and they explicitly will say, "This is because we are compassionate. We want to make sure that we are uh, inviting people, not pushing them away." But in reality, they're distorting the Deen. They're distorting is. Their teaching of Islam and they're presenting a false image of Islam. The compassionate Imam doesn't talk about uh, Nar, doesn't talk about Jahannam, only talks about Jannah. And this is something that I hear with my own ears that they will, uh, there was one uh, very prominent, uh, influential figure who was giving a talk to Muslims on uh, Ramadan, different issues within Ramadan. And instead of saying that, okay, he, want, he had reached a point in his talk where he was saying that there might be some uncomfortable consequences in the hereafter <laughs> for those who do this. So that's like that's the level of uh, you know supposed compassion that you're not even going to mention fire. You're not even going to mention uh, the torment of adab. Uh, Instead, you want to label it as uncomfortable consequences for something. This is not compassion. This is the opposite of compassion because you're not. uh, First of all, uh, the most compassionate, Allah, has included these descriptions of the fire and the torture and the consequence of the fire very uh, graphically in the Qur'an. Very graphically in the Qur'an. But you are more compassionate than Allah and you're going to uh, censor this or sugarcoat it because you think that you're benefiting people you're not benefiting people people need to be afraid of the consequences of their of disbelief of sins of turning their backs to Allah without tawbah they need to be, we all need to be very conscious of these consequences but you're avoiding it because you think that that's what compassion means so this is why Uh, compassionate imam, this is an entire phenomenon. It's not just one figure or one preacher, one da'i. It's unfortunately becoming more and more widespread and it's pushed by social media. Because on social media, uh, you're this metric of success that, oh, if I have more followers, if I have more views, if I have more subscribers, that means I'm doing a good job. And so uh, some of these figures, feed into that, that I need to play to my audience, I need to avoid the controversial issues, avoid the uncomfortable issues, avoid saying things that make my audience uh, worried about their own nafs and might start blaming their own nafs that I need to change my ways. That's an uncomfortable realization that everyone needs to have, that my nafs, I am my own enemy, I have to change. I need to make tawbah mm-hmm. because it means that you're you have a change to make so there's an ego defense mechanism that people have and they want to shut off the feed or they want to shut off the channel they want to block whatever to avoid hearing that very real message so that does that mean that the teachers the imams these celebrity uh, duat avoid that message so that people aren't leaving their channels or leaving their social media I
0: mean, obviously that should... not Of course not, I mean, well look, let's be very clear about something When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the Anbiya May Allah's peace and blessings be upon them all in the Qur'an And in the prophetic statements We know that the Prophets came to give glad tidings And to warn, to speak about Jannah and Jahannam And in fact, the fact that when you mentioned that It reminded me of a podcast that I did last year with Abdurrahim Green Old school dawah carrier And I posited this question to him I said, what's your thoughts on those who give da'wah but intentionally either omit the mentioning of Jahannam or try to really disproportionately minimize it as a repercussion for disbelief And I was so pleasantly surprised Actually, I shouldn't even say but Alhamdulillah, I was happy to hear from Abdul Green He said, anyone who gives da'wah that only talks about Jannah but intentionally omits Jahannam, this is not prophetic this is not the Da'a of the Prophets Because many of the Prophets, including Prophet Came and Sounds warned up. about Jahannam in the most unequivocal and harshest of terms Right? But I guess what I'll posit back to you, Dan, is How would you then respond to the two following counters? Counter number one If you say that the programming is taking place of Muslims to kind of uh, conform and start regurgitating a kind of Islam that has clearly been influenced by secular liberalism and a whole host of other problematic ideologies and those who are doing the programming in this case let's say some of these imams who you describe as compassionate imams are we not then basically saying that you' you've made you've basically ripped up their hearts and have made a judgment call on them having this nefarious agenda
1: well, uh, what is a nefarious agenda? I'm just judging their public statements and what they're presenting to the masses and it's very clear to see. I mean, you objectively can see how many lectures does this person have on uh, a very gentle topic, a very politically correct topic. How many do they have on a politically incorrect topic? Uh, and a, a very um, decisive...
0: Why is, why is that a metric? Why is that a metric of measuring... Um, how orthodox or how normative they are and, and how consistent they are If they speak about one topic more than more than the other That could be purely due to an issue of speciality, no? Uh,
1: okay, so there is some speciality But the figures that I'm talking about And I label as a compassionate imam They have taken it upon themselves to teach the deen they have taken it upon themselves to teach Qur'an, to teach Sunnah, and their classes are on this basis. You have a tafsir class, you have a fiqh class. And if it's the case that you're teaching, for example, tafsir, and I've had imams admit this to me privately, that they'll teach the tafsir, but they will skip a surah, or they'll they'll skip the tafsir for a specific ayah, because it's controversial, quote unquote, because they don't want to deal with the backlash. So this is something that you can judge because <laughs> you might wonder, okay, you're teaching Tafsir ibn Kathir or you're teaching Tafsir Qurtubi, and you skipped an entire surah. Why? This surah has something that it's not our judgment. This is as a fact, it's politically incorrect in our current climate, in our current context. So this is no judging of what's in their heart. Um, this is just a judgment of what they're teaching. It cannot be said that you're teaching uh, the Qur'an fully if you're skipping, if you're concealing parts of the book. You reveal parts of the book and you conceal parts of the book. This is, uh, not only is it, is it not prophetic as you put it, that's a very gentle way to put it, it's not prophetic. Or Sheikh Abdurrahman or Abdurahim uh, mentioned this is not prophetic. It's also following in the footsteps of past communities that were destroyed because of this kind of behavior. Allah has sent them the revelation and they hide what is inconvenient for them. The fact of the matter is that Allah tests us. Uh, Are we going to speak the truth even when, especially when it is difficult for us uh, financially, in terms of our reputation? Uh, And this is the challenge that an imam takes. So someone who is an imam, Mm -hmm. and is going to take that position as a teacher or a scholar, an alim, that comes with certain responsibilities. That comes with certain responsibilities, right? It's not, if you if you are a specialist and they want to say that, you know, I'm not actually a sheikh, don't call me sheikh, I'm not an alim, I'm not a teacher of deen. I just want to, I'm just a heart softener. I just want to give people heart softeners and make them feel good about themselves. Okay. That's fine. You're specializing in that, but don't take on these kinds of airs of uh, being a religious leader or an alim. No, that's not what you are at all. You're just a you know um, a cheerleader in, in the worst sense of that word. So I'm not looking at anyone's heart, and then look at the effects. Uh, we have to look at the impact because part of it is programming, right? You're programming the community to think in a, in a certain way. So look, I think a, a very good test of someone's willingness to speak the truth in light of political pressure is on the issue of LGBT. LGBT is something that is very clear In the Quran and in the Sunnah, there are about 80 ayat in the Quran dedicated to uh, Lut, the Prophet Lut and his people, 80 ayat. And this is something that you can't hide. But it's very politically incorrect, very politically incorrect to say that uh, these people were destroyed because only for, uh, or primarily for their sexual behavior.
0: And we'll we'll get to the whole LGBT lobby and and engaging with them to further what may be perceived as uh, Muslim interest. We we'll, we will get to that. That is one of the points of our podcast. The second counter, then I guess, would say is, what would you then say that f- from from those individuals and organisations who engage in this type of dawah is that look, we are living in the West as Muslim minorities in a very hostile environment where. Most people either don't know about Islam or get their Islam from Sky News, Fox News, and BBC. That is the only Islam that they've ever heard, and to go, you know, straight in to Jahannam, to Hudud, to you know, um, sodomy, to you know, all these kind of things, which are yes, okay, either are politically incorrect or are controversial by today's standards. That this is not hikmah, this is not wise, this is not actually bringing whether it be Muslims and non-Muslims, closer to the deen of Islam, it's rather giving them reasons to to run a mile So really, what I've heard is that, or what I've read as well from various uh, um, um, figures uh, who you have coined or described as compassionate Imams is that look, you know, we're, we're not necessarily rejecting these things we're not necessarily, because to reject, I've even heard from some, again I'm purposely not mentioning names, but I think me and yourself and. People who are going to be watching this know exactly who we're talking about Is that we're not, we've not rejected these things To reject these things will be khafar, right? But at the end of the day, you know, there needs to be some level of hikmah involved in the da'wah and We need to understand our climate and our environment How would you respond to that?
1: How, how are they deciding what is hikmah or not? Because when we look at the example of the Prophet wasallam in Mecca The ayat that were being revealed Uh, at the beginning of the uh, prophethood at the beginning of revelation they were extremely uh, harsh against the Quraysh and against that society going after their practices their social practices Um, (laughs) so this is uh, this idea that uh, we have to kind of ease certain things uh, to our audience to the society at large we don't even see that within the actual sirah and the order of revelation of the Quran. Uh, beyond that, okay, if we assume that this is the proper proper strategy, that we only focus on the soft things, the you know, quote unquote attractive things about Islam, and this is hikmah for a while, okay, then when is it going to be the time? To start giving the warning. When is it going to be time to start talking about Jahannam? When is going to be the time? Tell me, give me a date. <laughs> At what point? Okay, well, well, I guess you know, when we talk about strategies, and
0: you know, strategies are essentially Dawa methodologies. And I guess this is one of the things which so many Muslim organizations and movements will differ upon, and they'll differ upon, and they'll say that look, this is an ijtihadi matter, right? <laughs> The <laughs> reason I'm laughing because I'm laughing because these words have become so memeified on Facebook, and I'm yeah. just cracking up. When I'm thinking about, but no, no. But let's be honest about it. We have various Muslim organisations and movements. We have from the Salafis to the Sufis to the Ikhwan to HT to the Abundis. We have so many different spectrums of Muslim organisations and movements who have dawah priorities, right? Who think that this is a priority over this and so forth. So why can it not be the case that? As Muslims living in the US slash North America, we see that as a dawah priority is that we are living in the belly of the beast. We are living in a country where people are armed with guns. They think that we're aggressive, medieval, four wives marrying, hand chopping, kicking gays off, building Sharia, implementing Muslim nut jobs. And Dan wants us to talk about the very things which they hate us for.
1: I think that this is a uh, misjudgment of the public even within what you described as the belly of the beast I actually disagree that on this again like the issue of LGBT we can talk about the issue of uh, women's rights and gender relations the values within Islamic marriage and some of the things that would be considered to be politically incorrect or anti-feminist within Islam all of those issues I would argue that the American public or the Western public is so hungry to get the Islamic view on. They are are starving for guidance. They, They want someone to speak out and show them the truth about these issues. And Muslims have this golden opportunity. It has been, you know, presented to us on a golden platter, this opportunity to be the ones who speak the haq, who who show them and explain that look, this kind of unbridled sexuality, this hyper uh, lust that you are promulgating not you as a public, but the powers that be, these corporations, these media moguls that are propagating throughout society this is wrong, this is harmful, this is deadly this is going to destroy your society because they understand that. They recognize it and they feel it because they have a fitrah. They recognize it and they feel it. They're seeing their families crumble in their hands. Okay, and they well, want a solution. Muslims have a solution, but they're not speaking that solution because they're worried about backlash. I'm gonna, throw, is, I'm
0: gonna, I'm, I'm yeah. gonna throw various counters at you. And these counters that I've read, posted on your wall, in discussions, even in the UK, when we've discussed yourself and, and your activities online, how would you then respond then, okay, Dan, okay, fine. You, you're you saying that the American public is hungry in light of this kind of uh, hypersexualized sexualized um, uh, society, you know, where where was perceived as a traditional gender roles are being mixed, the LGBTQ lobby, intersectionality, all of this stuff. But aren't you essentially falling into the lap of the alt-right And it is those constituencies within the US Who are hungry for this kind of uh, information and positions on these issues Tend to gravitate towards those who actually will have no problem In a click of a finger bombing the Muslim world into in, into, into decimation
1: oh, I don't understand the question You're saying the that they're, to- most, they're the most likely This alt-right that you're describing is the most likely to accept islam but they're also the ones who are going to bomb muslims
0: no what you'll find is that those who gravitate towards the right you'll find that on social values and family values there will be a similarity with traditional orthodox islamic uh you know uh, views on certain issues right family uh, gender marriage crime etc but these are the same people the same constituency i'm making sweeping generalizations here by the way uh, but it is that constituency that will also have no problem whilst agreeing with you on LGBT agreeing with you on on, on the on the sanctity of of the institution of marriage on um, on, on on defined uh, roles for men and women in society etc they were the same people that have no problem killing your brothers and sisters and pushing for war in the Muslim world so we so those who appear to be kind of not pandering but gravitating towards the left, i.e. Muslims, are doing so because they've seen that that, that other constituency is a far greater threat.
1: I mean I, I fundamentally disagree with the premise because the left wing is just as eager to bomb and destroy the Muslim world as the right in in the American context, in the Canadian context and arguably in the UK context. The uh, the right is going to, is willing to bomb and destroy Muslim society on one set of reasons And the leftists, they have a different set of reasons Oh, these Muslims aren't uh, allowing homosexuals to do what they want throughout society Therefore we have to go and fundamentally intervene Whether violently or through sanctions The um, country of Brunei, for example introduces or or the king uh, sultan of brunei wants to introduce uh, sharia hudud uh, wants to criminalize homosexuality uh, or homosexual behavior and then what happens all of these western countries start introducing sanctions threatening rattle saber rattling and in the united states ilhan omar the supposed enlightened left muslim congresswoman with hijab mashallah is the one introducing uh, legislation into Congress to sanction Brunei, a Muslim country. She wants to sanction, because why? And she calls within the legislation explicitly that what Brunei is calling for, these punishments are draconian, they're barbaric. So she is insulting the Sharia. She is attacking violently through sanctions a Muslim country. And she is on this enlightened, woke, left-wing How is this, you know, what does it mean?
0: Okay, I'm I'm with you. Tony Blair, Labour Party, had no problem taking us into Iraq and contributing towards the death of millions in Iraq and Afghanistan. Agreed. Obama was the first one to introduce the Muslim ban and had the highest number of drone strikes in Somalia, Yemen, Pakistan. So yes, we can agree that whether it's left or the right, for various reasons, they'll have no problem waging war against Islam and Muslims. Okay, domestically speaking in the West, For some reason or another, Muslims of various backgrounds and persuasions feel comfortable in allying themselves with those who tend to lean towards the left, or are clearly the left, on issues of Islamophobia, on issues of Philistine, on issues of draconian anti-terrorism laws, and it appears to be a safe space. The most assumed common ally is those who are the progressive left. So, even on that kind of maslaha, mafsada kind of paradigm, a principle which does exist within our USUL, which is a normative Islamic usool, a principle can it not be argued that the reason why we find ourselves, uh, whether it be MSAs in the North America or ISOCs in the UK that the reason why they find themselves leaning towards the left and allying themselves with the left is because this seems to be a safe space to try advance our interests.
1: No, it's completely illogical. And I, dis- again, I disagree with the fundamental premise that- Why are you liberals- disagreeing
0: with me so much for, man? We- <laughs> I was gonna ask you the same question, We, but- don't, we don't
1: usually disagree this much.
0: <laughs> Go on, crack on, crack on.
1: So, uh, again, on the left wing, domestically, okay, they have been extremely hostile to Muslims. They've been extremely hostile in terms of domestic spying, in terms of entrapment. I'm speaking mostly from the American context, but I would argue that it's the same any, anywhere in the West. But in the United States, Barack Obama had this massive entrapment program through his department. Uh, through his administration, where they are sending the uh, FBI, basically these counter extremist officials to entrap, basically get some poor Muslim uh, who might have mental issues, he might have a criminal record, try to incite him to plot some act of terror and then swoop in and say oh look at this homegrown terror that we caught even though they are the ones who uh, incited him to make an extreme statement or to buy a weapon or anything like that then they were parading these Muslims in front of the camera and the news media and saying look at this homegrown terror. In uh, Obama's time the anti-Muslim sentiment was much worse, much much worse tangibly Palpably than it is in the Trump era in the Trump era in the Trump era in fact Donald Trump ended that program He ended a lot of those domestic spying programs that was part of the Obama administration The countering violent extremism CVE program which the brainchild is prevent now in the UK Yes, analog of that in Canada that came from liberals that came from the left wing, mm. so that's point number one. Point number two, fine, I'll con- let's just concede your premise and say yeah, there's these left-wingers that they just are so cuddly with Muslims. I would point to that, I On particular interests,
0: to- Dan, on particular interests, on, partic- on particular like issues, like Islamophobia, what? anti-Muslim hate- Okay,
1: Islamophobia, and- we're, uh, we're gonna help you on Islamophobia, but we're going to force your schools your Islamic schools to teach that there's no problem with a man and a man getting married and adopting children. There's no problem with being a boy, but maybe you feel like a girl, so you need to start taking hormones. We're going to make sure that all of your schools are teaching this curriculum. And if you refuse, then we're going to defund your schools. And if any parents refuse to send their children to learn this fahisha, we're going to send those people to prison. Okay, so, this tolerance is a double edged sword. Right? Yeah, yeah, I, know. <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I, mean, and, I spoke to you about even, this in
0: the Muslim Skeptic podcast, didn't I? Yeah.
1: About this very issue. So, even if, even if, uh, you know, let's even concede that, let's even concede that, that there's not even going to be any kind of repercussions uh, in this acceptance of left wing tolerance, then, like, there is a maslaha, uh, a clear maslaha. So, I'm conceding everything. There's a clear maslaha for working with the left wing. Even in that situation, maslaha has a certain limit. Yes. It has a certain limit. Uh, What was the maslaha for the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca? To just not teach certain ayat, not talk about Jahannam, not talk about those who are burying their daughters and are stealing from the orphans and are mistreating the poor dishonoring their blood relations, their kinship ties. Don't talk about that, that's politically incorrect. There's a maslaha here where we're just literally a dozen Muslims, the ummah is just a dozen people. We don't want to be snuffed out. There's a clear maslaha, right? But it has a limit. What was the maslaha for Lut alayhi salam? He is by himself with his family and even his wife is against him. Even his wife is plotting against him. What was the maslaha for him? To, To just, okay. You want to do this action? Go ahead and do it. It's a maslaha for me. My life is literally on the line. The li- my life and my, uh, my family's life is on the line. Lives are on the line. Where was the maslaha there? Yet he told them directly that what you do, I hate this action that you're doing. I will not comply with what you are demanding of me. Where was the maslaha? So if we're, com- ashab, uh, you know, all these examples in the Quran, so many. Where it's not just uh, you know utilitarian maslaha kind of reasoning.
0: Okay, so let me so, so just on that analogy of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and his da'wah in Makkah for for the first thirteen years, we are also aware from the Sirah Dan that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he used to speak with the leaders of Quraysh in a particular manner, and he used to speak with the awam in a particular manner. I don't think there's any disagreement that when he spoke to the likes of Abu Jahl and so forth, he was very harsh, and he was very uh, you know, uh, uncompromising and, and, and very clear in his warnings uh, of, of Jahannam and, 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 their, and their Fahisha and their Shirk and all sorts but there are also examples from the seerah when the Prophet spoke to those who were not the leaders of Quraysh who were not the Al-Mala of society that there was a, a different persona and there was a far more relaxed, more compassionate approach to to those who weren't the leaders who weren't the kind of, uh, the the, the figureheads of the oppressive uh, pagan society of Mecca So can it not be a case that, okay fine, with the system and the people of power, we will engage with them in a particular manner and then with the lay folk who might also be of that same ideological persuasion, it may require a different mannerism and strategy to engage them
1: I'm not sure that's an accurate generalization. I think there are examples of the Prophet Wasallam speaking harshly to certain figures of the Quraysh and actually speaking softly to other leaders of the Quraysh or of the other tribes, trying to invite them and even bringing gifts to them. Mm. Uh, so I, I'm not sure about that generalization that you're making. Uh, but, I mean, this is an important distinction that we have to make. What is the... Uh, Context of private discussion one-on-one between a da'i and a non-muslim or whoever else Um, What's that context and what are the where is hikmah in that conversation? Whereas you are a teacher on the mimbar Speaking at the masjid or you're having your dars in the masjid. You have the halaqa in the masjid What is the context of that? And where was the hikmah of that the problem is when we take I agree, like in certain one-on-one circumstances, like you might have a family member, a cousin who has certain issues with Islam Am I going to one-on-one go to that cousin and start blasting and start talking about these kinds of issues? Mm. No, of course not, that wouldn't be very wise because it's very clear the reaction that will come from that I can anticipate the reaction But we can't take that one-on-one context and then extrapolate it and say that this should be our approach for every issue. This should be the way that we talk in every context.
0: But cannot be be switched back. It it goes both ways, surely. Excessive compassion, excessive harshness, excessive excessive sensitivity, excessive brute force. Surely there's a middle ground.
1: Of course, I'm, I'm an advocate of that middle ground. I think there there should be balance. I don't advocate all harshness. I don't advocate blasting. I just mentioned, like, even in the public context, mm. you, there's a balance between, uh, warning people and giving them the good news, giving them good news of Jannah and, uh, a merciful Allah is merciful. He's compassionate and he will, uh, accept us if we repent to him. So yeah, of course, there's a a balance. But I'm just making the point about how if we believe that this kind of private conversation where you have someone who's literally on the brink of leaving Islam and you're catering a certain message to address him, to prevent him from leaving Islam, you can't use that for all of your Da'wah, you can't use that for all of your teaching because you are just appealing to the lowest common denominator for the entire community You're dumbing down Islam for the entire community just on the basis of a one-on-one Conversation that's disastrous. That's okay. disastrous for the ummah
0: So look, I mean before we move on to the next uh, topic of today's discussion. Let me ask you a, a, a question a hypothetical scenario, right Um if, do you think, according to your understanding of, of Dean and priorities as Muslim communities in the West, do you, would you personally uh, ally with a Christian uh, or, or a Jew uh, on the issue of um, against LGBT laws and curriculums in
1: schools? It's not hypothetical. They have reached out to me. Different okay. Christian groups have reached out to me, and, and have. They
0: have, you, have, you, have you aided them and accepted? No, them? No,
1: no. Why? Because these same groups are the ones who are um, advocating for "quote unquote" Christian minority rights in the Muslim world. So, I mean, they didn't reveal that. I had to go and research and see mm-hmm. what else. What is what else is part of their agenda? And I saw that these are people who are advocating against the hudud. In uh, the Muslim world, they're advocating for the building of all kinds of uh, churches and missionary work in the Muslim world. So, no, of course, I'm not going to ally with such people.
0: Let's say, let's say, if they didn't have that. Uh, global agenda Let's say they were These were just Christians From Houston Who sought Daniel Hakakotu's Assistance In opposing A particular LGBT bill Or the Kind of uh, Making it um, Obligatory And mandatory To teach to schools To primary school children Would you Would you Would you work with them On Taku and bir on, 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 To prevent this Greater harm
1: I mean I, I would have to Investigate But I don't see anything That is fundamentally Would disqualify that
0: So now to posit back to you, do you think there's anything wrong with a Muslim or Muslim groups and figures who may ally themselves or position themselves towards some elements of the left to oppose a particular anti-Muslim terrorism bill if they don't have a particular, if, if it can be at least at, not face value, but can you know, you won't expect them to try and come enforce their lifestyles on your institutions and your children, but just on the premise of anti Muslim hate crime laws and draconian CVE laws. Is there anything? So right what's,
1: what's the group? You have to be specific. You just said left.
0: Okay, it, it could be an, LGB, it, it could, it could an LGBT group. There are Christians
1: group. on the left, by the way.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, it could be an LGBT group. It could be a feminist group. No, if group. it's
1: LGBT, no. It's LGBT group, no, because the whole purpose of the LGBT group, they are united on the basis of this. What, what connects them, what unites them as a group is Fahisha, is this practice of uh, sodomy and what have you. That is their whole purpose. And this is they're wanting to spread this very aggressively because they want to normalize this in society. It's very, di- and anyway, we can't compare. Like a Christian group, this is a category, Ahlul Kitab, that's recognized in Islam. Ahlul Kitab, it's recognized. Uh, but there's no such thing as an LGBT community. This is something that they've invented on the basis of, again, what, what unites them? A, a particular sexual fetish. Okay? there are many. There's also, uh, pedophile associations. Eh? Mm. Uh, Actual organizations in the West for pedophilia, for incest, for uh, bestiality Should we ally with them? Should we ally with those kinds of groups? Is that uh, acceptable? No, we, we draw a line, we draw a very clear line So even if you're going to support us, we're not going to support you We're not going to stand with you This is what you're for Unfortunately, Muslims have lost this sense of horror and shock can we, what, can we or should we take help from them, if they offer it? Uh, it depends. I mean, if they can offer f- it, mostly it's... Most of the time it's with strings attached. Yeah, it's conditional, most, it's conditional. Uh, then no, obviously not. Okay. So, no way, we, we prefer to go it alone. Because what they're asking is something that's concordant with their values. If they believe that Islamophobia is wrong and that the Muslim ban is wrong, and if they believe that, good for them. Uh, good for them, that's uh, in accordance with their values, but what they're asking for Muslims to support is contrary to our values, very contrary. Okay. So how is this How is this an equal situation? How is this reciprocity? You want us to support something that is against our values, but all you're doing is uh, is supporting something that is in conformity with your values, so this but is that, not a fair deal.
0: But Dan, Dan, the, the, the thing which is concerning to me is that we have entire Muslim groups figures and movements, who have got a long history, right, I'm not going to mention names, I'm not going to mention the names of the movements, but their general premise of their da'wah, especially in the West, is that where we can advance a particular interest or cause of Islam without necessarily uh, compromising or conforming to the beliefs of the LGBT or the Marxist or the left or the right. We can do this. It doesn't necessarily matter who's looking to aid us. If we can advance the cause of Islam in any, particular, in any
1: gradual way, we can do How it. are you advancing the cause of Islam? How are you advancing it when, because of this allyship, they you out, as they, an they, imam? They
0: pull out a maslaha calculator <laughs> and, they, and they do a mafsad. <laughs> no, no, yeah. it's, it's nearly always argued from a maslaha and mafsa, that point of view.
1: Yeah, that's the stupid part about it. Like, we can concede, like I did in in what we just said. I'll concede Maslaha Mafsada. Okay? But where, you're ignoring the Mafsad, the Mafasid. You're ignoring all of the harms that come from allying with them. Because when you ally with these groups, even if you don't actually go to Congress and with a rainbow flag, or you go to Parliament with a rainbow flag, even if you don't do anything like that, are you going to mention Qawm Lut in your next khutbah? Are you going to talk about these ayat? Are you going to be talk about uh, homosexuality in your next khutbah? Are you going to talk about gender and gender roles in Islam in your next khutbah? Most likely not. You're going to censor yourself. You're going to... Because, and really, in, in many of these masajid, especially the bigger ones, they have live stream So everything that happens in the the masjid is now in the public domain Mm. and they are even when they're in the masjid giving their dars, it's a public performance. And they're avoiding teaching certain things. So And it's on the basis of these alliances that they've made with political parties. I mean we're talking about LGBT but also when it comes to women's issues. Okay, What does Islam have to say about the gender roles? What does Islam have to say about the leadership of the man over women? What does Islam have to say about the structure of the family and the ideal family? What does Islam have to say even between gender relations? Because these leftists also have a big problem with the idea of gender separation. Maybe in the UK, you've seen how there are in the Guardian and BBC, they're publishing articles from Muslim women complaining that, oh, these masajid aren't uh, welcoming to women right? These masajid aren't letting women come in or they have you know, not equal facilities for women. So this is a huge campaign against the Muslim community coming from the left. So what is the cost? Okay, fine. Maslaha and mafsada, I accept it. Do an honest calculation of the mafasid that are affecting the community from this ally. By the way, just so that the listeners aren't confused, I'm not saying we have an unprincipled relationship with the right wing, with conservatives either. No, I'm saying we stand on our own two feet. We stand on the haqq, okay? We don't need them. Mm. Wallahi, we do not need them. The the victory for us, the protection for us comes from Allah only, mm. only. these. That's the true maslaha. Isn't, right? the,
0: isn't, isn't, isn't a calculation of maslaha and mafsada The harms and benefits in terms of the state of the Muslim communities Or the Muslim ummah And how we move forward to prosperity and so forth Especially in the current climate and environment It's not something that's a recent phenomenon Yeah, f- sure, it's been amplified by 9-11 and everything that's come after it For the last 100 and 150 years We have been in a very dire situation collectively as an ummah uh, whether that be in terms of oppression, occupation, the ideological attack, the culture attack, I mean all sorts, in every angle Is it not a case then in such a unique time in Islamic history And this period this period that we're living in right now, and I've always said this in my lectures and my talks that brothers and sisters, we are living in a unique chapter of Islamic history Is it not a case that a lot of these do things, the Maslaha calculator, is it not really reflective of the reality of the state of the Muslim that perhaps some or many of these things are ijtihadi issues where one group or one scholar differs with a take of the other and so forth and therefore they proceed with how they think is the priority and what is most strategically beneficial to muslims
1: I would say that the ummah has always been the minority the ummah from the very beginning of revelation has been the minority facing great external threat, existential threat, from the very beginning of the message. Uh, when the Muslims were in uh, Mecca, they were the minority. When they went to Medina, they were the minority in the Arabian Peninsula. When they conquered the Arabian Peninsula, they're a minority in the global stage. Okay? At every stage of history, the Muslims have been a minority facing external threat. So there's always been this kind of Maslaha calculation that could be made that let's drop our principles, let's water things down, let's make concessions. Even when the, even when uh, in the Umayyad dynasty or the Abbasid dynasty, all of these periods, even then the truth was a minority. Why did we have the scholars like Imam Ahmed? Why was he being uh, jailed? Why was he being tortured by other Muslims, even though he was on the truth? So all, the truth has always been in this position uh, of uh, threat from the outside. So now our situation, I agree with you, there are some aspects of it that are unique. Uh, no doubt about it, no question about it. Uh, but does that mean we have to have a new hat? No. This 1,400 years of history, 1,200 years, 1,300 years of history leading to the colonial period, Mm. That has prepared us that should have prepared us for knowing how to deal with this and giving us the istiqamah giving us the fortitude to be able to uh, deal with this in a principled way every everywhere that we look those who stick with their principle whenever we look at history of the ummah whenever we stick to principle we succeed allah gives us Nasr. He, he gives us the victory Whenever we compromise and we and we have this calculation of this we know this is the haq But it's going to be it's going to lead to problems for us Sometimes it's dire problems and we compromise then then we lose it's very clear pattern
0: Now moving on to your social media activities, right or rather your methodology in how you uh, engage on particular matters as well as particular individuals and Uh, Organisations At what point in your life Over the course of five years Did you decide uh, I'm not saying that one day You woke up with a kind of an epiphany And thought right I'm going to start doing this Start taking pull out the 12 gauge And start letting it off on Facebook No, (laughs) But at what point did you realise that Okay I'm going to need to now Start addressing this stuff The compassionate imams uh, The organisations Who I feel are presenting a very Water down Islam, and so forth. That you know your, your many disagreements with these uh, organizations figures. At what point did you thought right? This is the better thing to do to now come out and start calling them out.
1: So I always was calling out uh, wrong decisions on you know these issues like feminism, LGBT, liberalism. I was always that was always part of my the writing Mus- and speaking.
0: But, but, but Muslims. Muslim figures, Muslim organizations, at the veracity that you've currently been doing it out?
1: So recently, in the past two years, I decided uh, with consultation with advisors and and other scholars to be explicit in naming names. And that was a conscious, deliberate decision of only the past two years. And the basis for that decision was that things are getting worse and worse, these Uh, figures and their organizations are uh, becoming worse in terms of hiding Islam and teaching a distorted version of Islam. Uh, And I was part of some of these organizations. I was part of them. I was working, collaborating with some of these figures. And they... Changed. You were and an ustad
0: You were an to even one of them, no?
1: Yeah, I was this ostad, respected figure. <laughs> but now you're a neophyte, uh, right? No, I'm a neophyte Now I'm a neo neophyte, neo no nothing. Just that so, clarity.
0: Just out of clarity. Do you have any kind of theological persuasion towards Rabi al-Madkhali and, and that strand of Salafia? Just out of no, curiosity. No, okay. I don't. Just, 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 want to clarify no. that. Yeah. Crack on, crack on, carry on. Bro. So,
1: <laughs> so, but what I realized then, uh, so. When I criticize fanboys, yep. I used to be a fanboy myself. I used to be a fanboy. And it was a very painful process to realize certain things and to see certain things. Uh, and certain things were said to me very directly that, look, Daniel, I'm not going to t- talk about this issue because it's not good for my career right now. Like, this political issue that is uh, creating so much havoc in the minds and hearts of Muslims I'm not going to talk about it Can I ask
0: (laughs) what that that topic was? What was it?
1: It was about uh, LGBT, it was about the uh, Orlando shooting Okay. So, uh, the nightclub shooting The nightclub shooting in
0: Orlando, yeah
1: Yeah, yeah, so then there was a huge statement that was made Where this was like a cataclysmic, or I would say a catalyzing moment Where uh, a lot of these figures these popular figures in the US, uh, imams, made a decision that, look, we're going to collaborate very closely with activists, these liberal activists, uh, because this is what the situation calls for, and we're going to make a statement, that is, we are supportive of LGBT rights, uh, we're not going to oppose it, and they basically came onto this liberal, social justice, activist band- bandwagon. That was in 2016. So when that happened, it really accelerated a lot of these trends. And Dad, in one can I conversation, ask yeah,
0: maybe? I'm so sorry to interject like this. I, I need to, I need to clarify something from you. If there are people from the LGBTQ community, whether they are lesbian or gay or bi or queer or whatever all the different alphabet, alphabetical letters represent. If they are being treated differently because of that sexual persuasion publicly in terms of they're getting beaten up on the streets, their, their cafes are being attacked, um, their businesses are being graffitied, um, they're getting attacked on the streets because of the way they look and these kind of things, to introduce laws to protect them from these kind of things, are you against that?
1: so um yeah i'm again i'm not against protecting people that's that's already the law isn't it the case it's already the law that i can't see someone or you can't see someone on the street who is dressed differently or is dressed flamboyant flamboyantly or whatever it may be and you go attack them that's already the the law okay, I, so okay, fine, i support I'm, that but... you shouldn't assume and attack people just because of the way they look and even if they have a certain behavior, or they say, I'm LGBT, and they wear a sign on their head that says that. Also, you don't have the right, we don't have the right to go and attack them. Of course not.
0: What about, what about them being caught? Co- okay, so what about your thoughts on uh, terms uh, which are now criminalized, such as calling someone a faggot, and things like this, which, which in the UK you can get arrested for that, for, for hate speech law? Uh,
1: no, I'm not in favor of laws that limit that kind of uh, way that people talk? No, of course not.
0: Okay. What's your views on companies, uh, organizations, not Muslims, not Muslims, non-Muslim organizations, companies, businesses, uh, choosing to not employ someone because they identify as one of these uh, uh, sexual persuasions?
1: Great uh, policy for a business to have. That's a policy I would have for my business. Because why? Because I want people <laughs> working for me that have morals and have uh, who are not committing fahisha, who are not committing this kind of behavior. I want my employees to have hmm? that kind of. I don't want such a person coming and corrupting my business, corrupting my employees, corrupting my okay, uh, okay, life. But-
0: yeah, but, but obviously you're not going to employ someone like that in Al-Asna or Muslim skeptic, of course not But I'm talking about <laughs> well, Debenhams Well, that's discrimination or, or, then or what, about, what, what about Debenhams or Walmart?
1: Well, I think that someone who is the uh, proprietor of such businesses, Muslim or non-Muslim, has to be extremely cautious <laughs> about Are you going to hire someone who is a sex offender, mm. right? Are you going to... You're, no, of course uh, not. No, there's like, uh, checks, there's
0: DBS checks, yes
1: yeah, you're, you, don't, you discriminate then, you're discriminating against the sex offender, but who de- decides what is a sexual offence? Who decides? Man-made laws, well, that they decide well, that, or the creator well, that decides post, what's a sexual offence? What was that, sorry? The,
0: the liberal goalpost for what's, what's crime and what isn't is constantly shifting bro, so...
1: Yeah, exactly, so I'm not going to worship that liberal god, okay? Mm. I worship Allah, inshallah, and I am not going to support these sexual crimes, these sexual offenses? No, of course not.
0: Okay, so back so back to what you were saying about, um, you know, that you were a fanboy once yourself. Uh, someone once quite prominent said to you that I can't talk this LGBT issue, the Orlando issue, the joint statement, you were talking about that.
1: Yeah, so in that statement, they made very clear that we support LGBT rights and the L- we support the this way of life and it was a very poorly constructed poorly crafted statement that was just meant to ease pressure from the muslim community at that time by the way it was later determined by law enforcement that the shooter omar mateen didn't wasn't intending to shoot up a gay nightclub he just was going to shoot up a nightclub it happened to be a gay one yeah anyway but those kinds of facts are irrelevant uh when you're just scrambling to appease the media appease society rather than stand with your principles so the Muslim community, I was urging look you can condemn violence, you can condemn mass shooting but why do you have to include this statement that uh, we support their lifestyle why? because this contradicts our value, this clear contradiction to Islam and I had conversations with some of the signatories of that statement and some of the crafters who were involved in crafting the statement, and the scholar said that these people that I was talking to that we had to include this because the activists that we're all- allying with, who are also on the statement, required it. Okay, they required it to be a part of that statement. I said, "Well, why did you not oppose this?" And the response was, "Because at this point in my career, I can't afford to oppose this."
0: Okay, so 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 staying on this topic of 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 we will go into this whole allying with. Muslim activists, the likes of Linda Sarsour and others, we'll get to that. But Let's stay on the topic of calling out individuals and organizations publicly on social media. Have you engaged with these individuals and organizations privately in terms of giving them nasiha, engaging with them, voicing your concerns, to then make that next step to call them out publicly?
1: Of course, I, like I said, I was a part of their organizations. I was a part of their organizations. I was in contact with them. They have my number. I had their number. Mm. And yeah, this was ongoing conversation because at a certain point prior to 2016, mm. there was a lot of confusion about what is the correct approach to this, to these issues, these, uh, these leftist liberal issues. Mm. And, uh, it was in that context that I was, Giving my views, giving my statements, and I had been publishing articles and speaking at different places Saying that this is extremely dangerous, Muslims should not compromise Mm. And sacrifice our values, because it's threatening It not only threatens Muslims, that's the idea that people are mistaken about sometimes That this LGBT issue will affect Muslims directly, and it is also going to Corrupt and bring extreme harm to society as a whole, the societies in which we live. Hmm. So it's no joke, it's no joke that Allah is saying that Qom Lut has been destroyed because of this behavior. Why is Allah saying that in the Quran? When it was unknown to the time, in the time of the Prophet, this wasn't a common practice in uh, Mecca or Medina. Then why are 80 ayat coming in 8 or 9 different surah of the Quran on this issue? It is highly emphasized Mm. when they weren't even practicing it. But now when this issue is unprecedented, it is spreading like wildfire. We have the truth, we have the guidance, and we're now too shy to speak out. We're too shy to stand with our principles. This is a a great shame.
0: How, how How true is that accusation against you? that you were a bitter former employee who basically didn't get his way. You, you, you basically, you, you lost, you, you lost the argument of convincing uh, the leadership to go in a particular direction on these matters, because that didn't necessarily happen that you were basically a bitter employee who parted and kind of have made, has essentially made a brand and a name around your departure from this organization and now pitching Al-Asna as an alternative. So there is a kind of monetary benefit in, in what you're doing.
1: Which organization?
0: Uh, I, I don't want to name that organization.
1: Well, I can't address your question if you don't name them.
0: Okay, Yaqeen Institute.
1: Okay. So I was the director of research at Yaqin Institute. I was recru- recruited for that role. Okay. And uh, many things happened in that, while, while I was employed by that organization. And I can't really divulge, not because I'm legally obligated to uh, be quiet about it. No, I didn't sign any non disclosure agreement. But on the basis of the Amana okay. of a private conversation, I expect them to also be private about certain details. I mean, it's not like shocking, but uh, there's nothing like uh, this accusation that I'm a disgruntled ex-employee. I have Mm. to question the people that I was in contact with Yakin, basically my immediate uh, superior and uh, supervisor. Mm. Certain details only he would know. Yet I'm seeing those details being spread, right? Even the accusation that I would be disgruntled or there was some kind of, uh, falling out, only he would know So how did other people get this information How, is other, how are other people talking about this Was, a, was there a violation of the amana could it not That we be, had as an employer-employee Yeah.
0: Could it, could, it, could it not be a case that people have just added one-on-one together That Dan was once with Yaqeen, he left He then started criticizing them So therefore he must have been a disgruntled former employee can not be a case of people just kind of making a one on one plus three kind of thing.
1: No, because some of the details that w- are being spread were were not just a one plus one equals two situation. It was things that you couldn't have known unless you were in, in within the organization. So I mean that's a separate point. Uh, am I disgruntled as an employee, or is this some kind of personal vendetta? Look, I. I can claim that I'm sincere and other people can dispute that they want to look inside my heart and claim that put that question aside look at what I'm bringing to the table and what Muslim Skeptic the co-authors we did this very long review comprehensive review of Yaqeen Institute published on Mm MuslimSkeptic.com because you have this organization that claims to be uh, doing Islamic research and putting out Islamically correct, authoritative articles and uh, videos on Islam, addressing certain things like hudud, the sharia, women's rights, um, you know, any kind of gender relation issues. They're putting out this material and they're claiming that it's Islamically authentic. But has there been anyone to do the due diligence to actually evaluate the Islamic correctness of that material? Okay, so,
0: so, so, so let me just quickly on, on that one then, I, I, are, you, are you now saying or alluding to that Yaqeen doesn't have and, and, mujtahideen and these kind of scholarly oversight on their content?
1: Uh, well, a lot of the things that they published was Islamically inaccurate and had many uh, errors in terms of what they're transmitting, what they are teaching. And so we did the work of reviewing that material with scholars, uh, with Mashiach, and we did a clear analysis. We took the quotes from their articles and said, this is a mistranslation. This is a complete uh, mistaken understanding that you've taken and you've presented. So the question that me and you and others should be asking is, well, if they do have Mashiach involved, uh, why aren't they reviewing the material that's putting, being put out? That's what the
0: question. You, okay. For, but what do you then do with an, organ, with, with an institute like Yaqeen, whose audience and reach is increasing many falls by the day? And there is good and beneficial content.
1: I mean, there are many of the deviants in our history, intellectual history, who were preaching many good things, but they corrupted the dean in certain aspects. And for that reason, they're rejected. Okay. If you have an article, right? Um, on your website and your research institute that says that non-Muslims who have their message has reached them. Mm. They are mushrikeen. They're idol worshippers. The message of Islam has reached them completely and they rejected it. Allah may still re, uh, forgive such people and accept them into Jannah. Okay, and uh, you know, and then having the rhetorical question: This article that says that is Islam really that important? <laughs> is the mm-hmm. acceptance of Islam really that important uh, to be accepted into Jannah? Mm-hmm. Black and white in print in your research institute, <laughs> or you have an article that says that. You know, Muslims uh, can accept the fact that human beings were evolved, that we're evolved from um, apes, from pre-hominid ancestors, according to the Darwinian evolutionary uh, picture narrative. Muslims can perfectly accept this, and it's not a contradiction with uh, Adam, alayhis salam. It's not a contradiction. Why? Because the descendants of Adam might be certain group. A subset of all of humanity. The, do you get it? Okay, so <laughs> like the m- many human beings that exist today, like me and you. Maybe we are not descended from Adam. Maybe we are descended from uh, some kind of ape. And so there's no contradiction. There's no and, contradiction between the evolution and Islam because of this kind of convoluted story. And you're publishing this and saying this is, you know, research. Are,
0: are you saying? Are you saying because of because of the the gravity of that kind of content, it would be inadvisable to then take. I mean, tell control. me, uh,
1: how many you have children, right, Dili?
0: I don't have any children. May dua that Allah blesses me with an army, please.
1: Um, I mean, Ya Allah, uh, may you be blessed with many righteous children. I mean, Ya Rabbi, I mean, uh, would inshallah, when you have children, do you want your children to be perusing such a site? Do you want your children? or any family members to just be going through these or to see such a institution that is teaching these kinds of things as authoritative or Islamically accurate? Would you want them to be uh, consuming that content?
0: I'll be honest with you, Dan. Uh, Hypothetically speaking, I'd at least hope to raise my children to a particular, again, this this is ideals I'm talking about. I want to raise them to a point where they're at least able to kind of identify the shubuhat and the rights and wrongs, or at the very least to come to me and say, Abba, look, I read this somewhere. It doesn't really sit well with me because of what I've been taught by you, by mum, or what I've learned in madrasa. What's your thoughts on this?
1: No, that's Do- a, you've changed the scenario that I've given you.
0: Let me change it this- for political correctness. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm trying to be a bit compassionate here, Dan. Come on.
1: No, man, you're putting me on the spot. It's time for me to put you on the spot. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> I mean you have an organization, like look, uh, you have an organization that is putting out extremely problematic things, they have an article that is saying that Muslims should support many LGBT rights, Muslims should support gay marriage, they have an article like this on their site, so you, you know, who would want that? I mean you're asking, you're making this kind of, uh, just I know you're playing devil's advocate but this ridiculous scenario that, oh you know... (laughs) You know you know the you know sandwich that you're eating, right? Yeah. The this, this sandwich that you're eating, it's okay if there's a few pieces of feces buried in there. Just go take a big old bite. Just take a big old bite of that feces sandwich, right? Is that what you're arguing?
0: Hey, 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 that, that, that's, that's the caricaturing of what,
1: the, what I just <laughs> said. <laughs> but, but still, you didn't answer the exact question because what Yaqeen is presenting itself as is a source of Islamic knowledge. So the, the correct analogy would be that you are your your child's education inshallah your child's education of Islam is based on what is being taught at this institute or through the research of this institute. So that that's what some people like many in the community as you described like their reach is expanding their understanding of Islam is based on this false information. So their way to determine whether something is Islamic or not in the first place is coming from what we just described. Okay. So, and I, before we move on, okay, because we should really emphasize this, this is also an organization that is very closely, in this review that we published on Muslim Skeptic of Yaqeen, this is an organization that is very closely tied with counter extremism efforts. Counter extremism efforts. And some of the material that they publish. On their site is coming directly from counter extremist narratives. In how fact, their director
0: how, Dan. How does that make sense when Imam Umar Suleiman has appeared to be very consistent against draconian counterterrorism laws and and and, and draconian anti-terrorism laws and and has been quite outspoken uh, on these issues? Just just uh, like, like I mean, you, I you
1: tell me. You tell me. You tell me how that makes sense, but then tell me how you have your director of research operations was a former counter extremism, uh, uh, um, a former counter extremism researcher uh, consulting with the US Army in Syria and in the Middle East. Your director of operations, go and look at the guy's profile on LinkedIn, it's very open, all public information, I'm not bringing private information. All of the material on this review is public sources, public information. The guy is a director of your research operations. His CV, his resume is all about counter extremism. This doesn't raise question marks. This doesn't raise red flags about what your organization is trying to do. Look at at their board members. Look at their their board members. The one person that we uh, flag in this report is Dalia Mugahed. Dalia Mugahid, who is a board member of Yaqeen Institute, and she is a former, uh, she's one of the architects of countering violent extremism with the Obama administration.
0: Okay, but hold on here, hold on here, and, and look, 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 you're kind of, what you're alluding to here, and what you're saying is public, these are discussions that have taken place in the UK, and these discussions usually entail, should Muslims be at the table when it comes to putting these laws and policies together is having them on the table, being on that table in discussing the damage limitation of these laws better than not being at the table at all. We have these discussions here, bro. We have these discussions here in the UK where certain scholars, certain activists, some have a very zero tolerance engagement policy with the establishment. Others be like, look, we know what they're doing, we know what their agenda is, but it's better that we're consulted, we're involved, so at least we can steer it in a damage limit. Can it not just be the case with Dahlia?
1: Let me, let me give you a distinction then. Let me give you a distinction. You have an individual okay, who is working for these agencies. He, his role is he's working with these agencies and he's trying to help the Muslims. Okay, That is one type of person. And whether what he's doing is good or not, I think there's room for that conversation. That's one type of person. A second type of person is someone who is seen as a leader, someone who is seen as a community figure, an activist, or a scholar, or a da'i, or a teacher. For that person to be working hand in hand with these agencies, this is completely. Crossing a red line. This is completely crossing the line because that person has been compromised. You can't trust what that person is going to teach, what that person is going to spread. How do you know that this is Islam or this is your countering violent extremism version of Islam? No. So oh, those so figures, those mm. figures, no, that's crossing a red line. Dalia Mugahid, she was an architect of this policy, and everything that she advocates is pro-LGBT pro feminism pro liberalism that is her entire message Done. and it's very clear where it's coming from it's coming from a counter uh, cve narrative or mandate but uh, the question that you raised of a, of an individual privately they're not a commu- they're not a community figure it's just some ahmed or some mohammed no, who no, no, has no, no, this job no no no
0: no let's talk no no let's talk about a figure let's talk about figures because we have figures and organizations even in the uk who basically say whether it's the conservatives or whether it's labor, we need to be at the table. We need to be part of these committees. We need to be advising. Because when they introduce laws, even if we can lessen its harm by 5%, it's less 5% harm to the Muslims.
1: That's the argument. No, no, we're not talking about uh, po- like politics. That's a separate question. The, what I was mentioning was an actual agency dedicated to policing Muslims and setting policy against Muslims this is not a political uh, political role this is within the government administration an employee an employee yes an employee or someone who has been appointed
0: yeah bro this within is
1: very, the government role
0: this is very problematic bro without a shadow of a doubt
1: <laughs> okay then tell me then your the yaqeen institute has such a person as their as a board member dalia Mugahed. Uh, and she's a part of many uh, U.S. Muslim organizations She is working with, you can read all of the details from based on public knowledge She is working with groups like the Aspen Institute The Aspen Institute was a brainchild of Michael Chertoff and his wife Michael Chertoff is one of the architects of the Patriot Act Have you heard of the Patriot Act the in course, the U.S.? Yes, yes, yes Yeah. So you can imagine that this is an institute Coming from such a person, and Dalia Mujahid is a respected guest panelist coming and speaking at this organization. And she's also in, uh, connected to all of these other mainstream uh, Muslim groups and research institutes. Okay, so, so this so, is a he, red flag after red flag after red flag.
0: Okay, so what do you do in a situation where... The, the guns and the arrows are pointed at Muslims, they're pointed at Ilhan Omar, they're pointed at Linda Sarsour, they, you know, the, 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 not even the far right, just the right wing, the racists, the biggest, the supremacists, the kind of very rabid Islamophobes, the ones who, who wear their hate for Islam and Muslims on their sleeves, are going after the likes of Ilhan and Linda and Dalia, and Dan comes along and starts calling them out at the same time. Do you not see that as problematic because that's one of the things which your critics have said that why does Dan choose the timing? When the, when these individuals Irrespective of their very problematic views and positions that they've taken Does he choose that when they're being attacked that he also piles in on the ammunition and starts attacking them as well?
1: That's not true at all. I don't like They're constantly being attacked and much of the, the reason that they're being attacked is for their actual statements Ilhan Omar, Linda Sarsour, they're provocateurs, they are inviting the animosity to a large extent, Not maybe not a hundred percent, but much of the animosity that they generate is because of their public persona, that they're almost goading on the American public against them uh, with the kinds of statements that they make and the kinds of public appearances that they make, the positions but that they take. But
0: those statements are then championed by so many Muslims. On Palestine, on racism, on on austerity and all these kind of things Those statements are then championed by Muslims Those are
1: not the statements that I'm talking about I'm talking about statements that they have no reason why Like Ilhan Omar uh, making a statement that So for example in the United States the President Trump He said that look we don't want LGBT in the military Like we don't, there shouldn't be LGBT um, Or not LGBT, uh, transgendered Transgender, this is an issue. Like we're not going to uh, respect that or something like that. Then Ilhan Omar comes and makes a strong stance. Rashida Tlaib makes a com- comes make a strong stance. No, we have to have transgender in the military. Why? Like what? Who is who is benefiting from this kind of rhetoric? You are just fanning the flames. You are appealing to your contingency at, at, at in this kind of public display. Why is that? So many of these figures, these activists, they actually need to generate animosity towards them so that they can play the, the victim, the oppressed victim. And it works like a charm because then you have Muslims who will jump to their defense. And that's a good instinct to have. It's a good instinct that we want to defend our brothers and sisters. But it's an instinct that can be used against us. Because the opposition, those who want to destroy Islam, will recognize that, okay, we need to prop up controlled opposition Prop up someone like Ilhan Omar, who Muslims will support, but all of her values are contrary to Islam She's is going to be someone who will promote LGBT, she's going to promote feminism, she's going to promote uh, dancing mu- like music videos which she's appeared in many, she's going to denounce the Sharia. She's going to be the one who's going to introduce anti-Sharia legislation. We're not going to have the anti-Sharia legislation introduced by some old white guy. We're going to have the young Ilhan Omar in the hijab introduce this legislation. And the Muslims are are going to stay silent. And those few that oppose her are going to be eaten alive by their own community, Mm. see? So this is, uh, this is the strategy of the enemy and we can't constantly be falling for it. I don't have any connection with, I don't have any feelings of allegiance to Ilhan Omar. She might wear hijab. She might claim to be Muslim when she is denouncing the Sharia. Okay. That's a red line. Okay. Or Rashida Taleb, this other Palestinian Muslim woman who is saying that my Allah is a she. She's attacking the Qur'an, she's attacking the Qur'an directly I don't have any feelings that I'm going to sub- support her No, I want to get her out of the minds of the Muslims I want her to be disassociated from the Muslims And that's the efforts that I've been trying to make And, I, and, and my team with Muslim Skeptic
0: it, This it, it isn't a digression, but it's just a random question I wanted to ask Let's say I'm Ilhan Omar Well, let's not imagine I'm Ilhan Omar <laughs> but, but, but let's just say Ilhan Omar said to you Right, Dan. The reason why I opposed the implementation of that particular had punishment in Brunei is because I follow the view that the hudud can only be (laughs) comprehensively implemented by a Khalifa.
1: She didn't say that, that, bro.
0: She, her her
1: legislation says that the sharia is barbaric and draconian i thought you were going to i thought you were going to say that she takes the hanafi position <laughs> she okay, takes no, no. the hanafi position
0: on the had for same sex behavior no no no, no, no i'm not, not going to entertain that one here no um, okay so look uh, okay so al asna institute mashallah al asna al asna al asna what al asna al the same thing al asna al asna
1: oh, okay i thought you said al asna a lesna. yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so a institute, mashallah. You know, you're now doing courses, uh, webinars, and 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 you know, you're providing uh, educational content and courses. Um, again, I posit to you that this public call, co- this public calling out of individuals and organizations, was it to kind of posture and position yourself to put your own organization and put your own institute and to promote it.
1: Uh, no that wasn't the intention Um, you know the Institute is it's actually I mean if we want to follow this line of reasoning it doesn't help me financially to be criticizing these public figures and these other institutes it actually uh, harms Financial interests very obviously if you you can just go to my comment section and look at the number of Angry people when I when I criticize a certain figure by name or a certain institution All of those fanboys turn against me and view me as the devil as, as Shaitan. literally that's what they feel So it doesn't support. It doesn't uh, serve my financial interests or the interests of the institution for me to be speaking against these figures. In fact, this is why I would argue. It
0: might. It might might do if you. It might do if you're able to catch or convince five to ten percent of the constituency.
1: I don't really see that. Like I think there would be much more to gain from not. Uh, alienating like let's say there is a thousand fanboys okay mm. um, from a certain figure you're saying five percent that's like 50 people who for some reason would be captured because i criticized their sheikh okay what if n- i or convinced I would, by I, your
0: arguments or convinced by your arguments
1: right but if i had left their sheikh out of the picture mm. those thousand would be much more likely more than 5 or 10% to sign up okay. For the institute, right? I think it's it's very simple math okay. But um, I mean I, I, I would also uh, Suggest that this strategy Of not calling out Figures, maybe in many cases is based on principle We don't want to publicly criticize someone else Another Muslim I would say that there's also a financial component If we want to consider that As a motivation uh, Then there's a Financial component to be silent When there's a sheikh Or an imam or an organization That's doing clear wrong Corrupting things Very clearly to stay silent Because you're worried that you're going to get Backlash and I'll tell you that There are figures who When like you don't understand I'm I'm sure you understand actually But the amount of pressure That is on people If they step outside of The um, you know Uh, The marching orders basically because I've had people who came to me and said Daniel This is like an imam somewhere of a masjid or at an institute. Daniel. I liked your posts I just pressed the like button on it. I didn't comment or nothing just on my um, anonymous Facebook profile. I liked it. Someone noticed that and they knew who I was they contacted my masjid board they contacted my School or my institute, and they complained. And then I had to have a conversation with my employer, other Muslims, that why did you like this post? And if you continue to do this, this threatens your career. And they, that board is getting calls from some of these celebrities telling them that to put pressure on this teacher or on this imam, or, and we need to have a conversation. Literally, across you know, the, the celebrity is in a different city. He's calling that teacher or that imam and saying, hey, you know, this is something serious. Are over, you sure you want to go down this over, path?
0: A, over a like on your Facebook
1: Over a like, wallahi, over just a like. So this is the amount of pressure. They want to maintain their group and their, their position of prominence. And because anything that questions their religious authority is a threat to their entire work their work their organizations so they have to keep very strict control no one is allowed to criticize if you start criticizing then we're going to black box uh blacklist you you're no longer allowed to teach at our masajid you're not no longer allowed to uh teach at our schools to be featured on our channels to be uh, po- invited to these uh, fundraisers to be invited to these so this is how they're shaking down a lot of imams and a lot of community leaders through this kind of intimidation.
0: How, how does that make you feel, Dan, that you have become this individual? Um, I'm sorry, bro. I mean, I mean, well, you, you know that means you have a good relationship. We have a brother. I'm not one of those guys that I'm going to go out on Twitter and be like, I, I distance myself from Dan because of <laughs> XY. I'm, I'm not that. Means you, we're brothers. We have a good relationship. In the same way that I have a good relationship with with some of the individuals from those organizations that you see as problematic. How do you feel that you've become that individual that I described in the introduction of this podcast as Marmite? You either love Dan or you don't and that it's got to a stage where certain institutes have taken all your articles down, another one has issued a disclaimer like you'd see this disclaimer nowhere else in any other website that he was once a contributor and we do not and, and then you get these kind of things where imams are being pulled up on merely liking you say how does that make you feel, Achi? That you have become this figure. like like either dance on it and he's right, or you know what, this guy's the biggest fitna on on social media as you can it's literally become that. When when I, when I enter the world, I don't know whether it's my algorithms and whether it's Th- shaped around Daniel Hakika too and, and things all relating to you, bro But it ends up literally being Dan's right about everything, we support him This guy is the biggest problem In the ummah right now in the West And I literally that's, that's what my feed has become How does that yeah. make you feel that you, in, in terms of yourself as a father As a da'i, as a husband, as a Muslim how has that had any effect on you as an individual just as a human being bro that it it's, it's got to this stage
1: i mean what you're describing i think it might be exaggerated, but um i don't feel anything i it could be don't my algorithms
0: care. i i did i did say it could be my algorithms <laughs>
1: Okay, maybe you have some strange algorithms, but in the real world like no one cares <laughs> In the real world like who cares like I'm I'm just writing certain things saying certain things that should be very Uncontroversial if you don't like the way that I say I acknowledge like I have my own personality like I like Sarcasm I like certain kinds of humor and that comes into my writing sometimes but what I feel when I see imams and I see some of these institutes distorting Islam, uh, corrupting what they're teaching and this is affecting the ummah and you see young Muslims that are just taking off the hijab they are engaged in all kinds of wrong behavior they're wearing the rainbow pin uh, uh, they've essentially gone through intellectual apostasy right they might they have the muslim label but all of their thinking is contrary to islam or much of their thinking is contrary to islam when i see that i get extremely emotional i get hurt at a deep level and i feel that viscerally and how does it then how help do you,
0: how does it then help when you articulate the way you do when well, you see I, when you see that intellectual apostasy of uh, our sisters doing a particular thing or brothers doing a particular thing or you know how does it help in the way you articulate your grievance and your discontent with these and, and your disagreements with these issues? Because ultimately, you're feeding these hiz- because you have a for Islam, right? You have, it, yeah, yeah you, ha- you have a love for Islam that when you see brothers and sisters, your fellow Muslim brothers and sisters doing something which you are pretty confident that this is haram, this is not, the, the, or you know where the trajectory is leading to, but then you, but then Dan articulates things the way he does.
1: Look, they're not. It's not that they're doing things that are haram. Okay, that has always been the case. They're doing things and justifying it and saying this is Islamic. I'm wearing the rainbow pin as a Muslim, as a proud Muslim because as a Muslim I have to support LGBT because I read that article on Yaqeen Institute that said Muslims have to must support many LGBT rights. Or I am um, I have these feminist views because the sheikha, the ustava came to my masjid and was from this institute or from this organization and is teaching this kind of material. So as a Muslim, I'm defending these ideologies. I'm defending these kinds of perspectives. As a Muslim, I don't talk about Jahannam. (laughs) As hikmah, on a basis of hikmah, I'm not going to talk about uh, these controversial issues because that's hikmah. So they've distorted even our conception of what is orthodox Islam, what is correct Islam. That's more serious than just someone doing haram things, that has always been the case.
0: No, 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 okay, So, so what I actually meant was that, what I actually meant was that. But then, even then still, right, to convince these individuals, these brothers and sisters, who have rights over us and we have rights over them, to bring them back into what we believe to be normative. How does, how important is the way you articulate things instead of pushing them further?
1: No, like the, I have no expectation that uh, many of them will care what I have to say or will listen to what I say. I have zero expectation of that, bro. You've uh, had ra-
0: you, you've had Dahlia, you've had Linda, you've had them all comment and engage
1: with you on your posts. Yeah, so I mean, uh, my they're not my audience. My audience is everyone else.
0: No, but the point is that the, the point is that them blue tickers there felt it you important enough to come onto your post and engage with you. So you do have some, whether you want to acknowledge it, you have some sway for them to feel that you were important enough to come directly engage with you on your post.
1: So you're saying like a a more gentle approach. They had the gentle approach before it was out of the public sphere. They've already had many of them that I criticized publicly. They had the benefit of the private consultation. Okay.
0: So, So you've done that with them privately.
1: Um, with not with uh, Linda okay. with Linda it was something else like the my first interaction online with her was through a question that I asked on Twitter I asked her a question like basically she was uh, she had an interview with the New York Times where she said that uh, those Christian women who are pro uh, abortion. pro-life, uh, pro-life they're, yeah. they're against abortion they're not welcome to come to my March my women's March and I just asked her, like, as a Muslim, how can you have like that such a harsh stance against people? Who, like, you're inviting the LGBT, you're inviting everyone, but these Christians are not allowed because they don't uh, agree with murdering babies. So it was just a very, it was just one sentence. And then what happens? My employer gets called, okay, by Linda Sarsour, telling him have a chat with Daniel. Why is he tweeting at me? And then I get reprimanded i get reprimanded okay so i'm not going to go into more details but just because of that simple tweet so the uh they've had the benefit of gentle converse and why should i by the way why should i be the one who has to give linda sarsour Dalia mugahed uh i don't know any other of these other actors Dalia's gentle-
0: real <laughs> what's Dilly making me I love this <laughs>
1: So, yeah, I mean, they have all of these... They're sitting on these panels with shuyukh and imams. They're buddies. They're Mm. on the same WhatsApp groups.
0: Mm.
1: Why aren't they advising them? Why is it me? So the fact that it hasn't happened is an indictment on their buddies. Look... Not an indictment on me. Dan, so just on, you know, calling out individuals
0: and figures who you've described as compassionate imams, right? And look, many of these individuals, the most prominent ones at least... They've invested a lot of years of their life studying the sacred sciences of Islam, Usul al-fiqh, tafsir, hadith, classical Arabic and so forth. And I guess one of the criticisms that I've commonly read about you is that, well, Daniel doesn't have that skill set. He's not learned in these sacred sciences. So what makes him uh, qualified to criticize these individuals? What's, What's your thoughts on that?
1: So, first of all, um, I don't have the uh, ijazah, the formal degree or certificate. I haven't graduated from an alim program. But uh, that doesn't mean that I am not learned or I haven't studied. I haven't studied fiqh or rasul al-fiqh or Arabic. In fact, I have studied these things for many years. I'm still studying these things um, in Arabic and, and so forth. So that, first of all, I feel is a big distraction uh, from the actual issue to bring up someone's credentials. Because if I were to argue against someone that they are violating some issue within usul al-fiqh or some, um, you know, mas'ala within fiqh or aqeedah, then yeah, there would be a bone to pick and say that Daniel has no place He's not qualified to question us on these issues, these technical issues. But those aren't the the issues that I am raising uh, problems with uh, these compassionate imams. Those aren't the it's the compassionate imams. Like I'll tell you, the kinds of things that only in the past three months have come up where I've criticized the compassionate imam. Uh, one example calling the sharia of Allah, calling the hudud of Allah barbaric, or or I mean bizarre, bizarre and problematic and in need of updating, Uh, saying that you support the freedom of speech of others to insult the Prophet for example, saying that um, Muslims should accept evolution Evolutionary theory Saying something like uh, Muslims should support LGBT rights and same-sex marriage And gay adoption And on and on Muslims should support transgender uh, bills Transgender curriculum These are the things that I'm criticizing The compassionate imams for okay. Right?
0: Okay, Dan I mean, it's quite clear At least on two cases Which individuals we're talking about So with regards to Yasir these statements About As a four or five minute segment where he described some verses of the Qur'an as problematic or bizarre and in reference to Hudud. Um, He then obviously later clarified uh, in an interview with Muhammad Hijab, uh, where he said that, look, what I meant by this, you have to appreciate the audience I was speaking in, the context I was speaking uh, in, but also to do with that there are some verses of the Qur'an, as some classical scholars have also used the term Mushkil, When it comes to certain verses at a particular time, to basically explain that to now explain these verses in its application in today's time does pose a problem, not that the verses themselves are a problem.
1: So this was not an explanation, okay? Fine, he wants to explain uh, problematic as mushkil, Uh, fine, but that's actually not a good explanation because mushkil, when it's used in the classical tradition, means ambiguous. These are texts that are ambiguous with reference to each other. No one said that, okay, this uh, text is problematic uh, in, in that sense, because it doesn't conform with what, uh, what we think in terms of our aql, uh, what's, what uh, science proves according to aql. No, and it's very ironic that someone like Yasir Qadi would uh, appeal to this type of reasoning because his dissertation and his main focus at Yale was the work of Ibn Taymiyyah in a specific work, Dar al Ta'arud, and Aql. So, the, uh, basically, the conflict between reason and revelation, and Ibn Taymiyyah. Uh, rahimullah is showing that there is no real conflict between aql between our reason and naql and the revelation and wherever there appears to be a conflict it's not a true conflict it's only a conflict because of some problem with our understanding of uh, aql or because we're using a text that's not authentic or we haven't properly understood that naql the text so uh, it's ironic for him to now <laughs> start using this kind of argument that, oh, these are uh, uh, these are uh, problematic. No, like, and then, fine, if you want to accept that uh, explanation, how do you, does he explain saying that it's bizarre? That these texts are bizarre and they need to be updated? Fine, like, uh, you're in a specific context, then just don't speak about it. Don't answer, address those questions. Right. Rather than say something that is, uh, shocking to anyone who hears it a muslim who hears that but you the, don't need to be a Alim to recognize that it's not correct to describe the sharia of Allah as bizarre
0: But that particular segment was part of a QA and a to a non-muslim audience in light of isis enslaving Yazidi women committing uh, Heinous crimes uh, in Iraq and Syria, and it was a question that was asked to him from an audience member uh, to a community that hadn't really been exposed to Muslims um, I think that's what he meant in terms of context And I guess it
1: you know, Do you know that- how many times these individuals Have to a- answer questions related to ISIS Related to terrorism Do you know how, how often they have to address these issues In front of TV cameras, in front of news media It doesn't require throwing Islam under the bus All you have to say is that these groups are terrorists, they are not following Islam, and all the scholars of the world have condemned them. Khalas, that's it. It doesn't require you to uh, start throwing Islam under the bus. On,
0: on, on the second statement that you made about another individual, uh, Professor Jonathan Brown, uh, when he made that statement, again, it was part of a Q&A, and he said uh, later on, which he repented for, by the way, he, he sought Allah's forgiveness when he was pulled up on it by various individuals on social media, and then he elaborated on what the actual point he was trying to make, and that was that for Muslims in the US to carry on practicing their faith and pro- their faith and propagating their faith, that it would require criticisms against Islam and Muslims and those concepts and beliefs and figures that we revere for us to continue practicing our faith uh, freely in the West. Though he repented and apologized for the wording of what he meant. Do you understand that point that he was trying to make? That in essence, for us to practice, give da'wah, and criticize all the kufr and all the batil and fahisha within our societies in the West, that we too have to also accept for us to work and operate within that remit, we need to also allow criticisms against the Prophet and things which we hold dear and
1: sacred. First of all, that's not true. There are. There is no movement or there are no group of people who have made it a point to criticize or to insult the Prophet ﷺ as a point of policy. And there are many religions, okay, or there is a specific religion that kind of avoids all criticism uh, by virtue of The Lobby that they have and the influence that they have so this is not true It's not true that if you want to live in this quote-unquote free society You have to be willing to have your religion and the sacred aspects of your religion constantly under attack That's not true, but let's say that it is Let's say that it is then who what kind of Muslim would want to make that kind of agreement or that kind of bargain that we're Sure. We want to be able to live uh, with uh, these comfortable lives that we live and feel free to spit on our religion right in front of us. And we'll not only uh, tolerate that, we'll say that, good, that's your right. We we, support your right to do so.
0: Okay, but we know that in our civilization, throughout Islamic history, whether it be Abbasid Baghdad, Umayyad Damascus, Ottoman Istanbul, Andalus, wherever it may be, we as an Islamic civilization, have always invited and championed dialogue and critique against al deen as a point of refutation against Greek philosophers, uh, Christians, whatever it may be. And, and that will naturally entail questioning, or maybe even insulting things that which we revere. So why, how is that any different if classically there are so many t- uh, testimonies that I- within the tradition, when we were in a position of authority within our lands, we were openly debating christians atheists philosophers and they have come with and and maybe insulted things which are sacred to us so why would that be any different in the west
1: well there are a lot of distinctions here first of all the insulting of the religion was very much prescribed within the islamic history because it violates the had there is um, it violates the limits that are set in Islam. You can't just go and insult the Messenger of Wasallam. That kind of shaitim that is going to be uh, penalized in, dial- in dialogue. In dialogue. In dialogue. Okay, fine. If you want to talk about dialogue, it's also a very specific context where the Muslims are in a position of power and a position of control, and it's not going to create a situation where. People are mass apostatizing and leaving their religion because of these kinds of dialogues. And it's uh, a controlled situation that we find within our uh, scholarship and and the scholarly tradition. That's not the same as uh, normalizing. Already Muslims are under the boot, okay, in, in the entire world, we're under the boot. And now you also want to spit in our face on this presumption of, oh, we're all for free of freedom of speech and, and free discourse, and uh, we're open-minded to consider all uh, of these possibilities. And, but you have us under the boot, and then you want to spit it in our face as well. The reality is that there is no freedom of speech. There is no such thing as freedom of speech anywhere in the world. And in fact, philosophically, there have been uh, many uh, philosophers who have written on this issue such as Stanley Fish. He is an American philosopher who wrote a book. There is no such thing as free speech and it's a good thing too. And what he says is that uh, every community has speech standards. Why? Because speech is can do as much harm to you as a physical act. No, but you no. can harm someone.
0: Look, I I, I think there's a near consensus amongst uh, philosophers, Western thinkers, even contemporary thinkers and policymakers that, look, free speech is not absolute. Hence why we have uh, hate speech laws, defamation laws and so forth. You know, but what are
1: those laws based on? What are those laws based the, on? We the, return the, to this those, issue. Those laws
0: are based on on the dominant values of a particular given society uh, and and the morality of the rights and wrongs
1: of a given society. So why do we have to? Why do we have to submit ourselves to the dominant values of society? Why do we have to make that? Because compromise? we're a mi- we're
0: a minority. We're an endangered minority. We're a threatened I thought, minority. I I
1: thought. I thought this was a secular world in which. Everyone has their own values, their own religion, and we bring it to the table of public discussion, and then, uh, no one has an unfair advantage. In is actual implementation,
0: case? in actual implementation, we know it's, it's far from that, bro.
1: Come on. Okay, that's fine. I agree with you. Me and you, we agree. There is no such thing as freedom of religion, freedom of speech. We have to adopt the dominant values that are imposed on us that we have to uh, suffer not, through, not but the professor... Op, operate, the professor within. operate within. that we, n- Yeah, we are operating in it, in it because of force. It's forced upon us. But the professor who is waxing poetic about, oh, the freedom of speech, and we have to stand by this beautiful freedom of speech, even if it means it, that they will insult the Prophet this is nonsense then. You agree then? You agree that this is nonsense? No, no. Uh, look, what I'm saying here,
0: Dan, Is this bro The context in which Professor Brown made that statement Which I The choice of his words I unequivocally disagree with But the point here is We can't take away from The context in which He proposed what he said And that is For us as Muslims To continue giving da'wah And to practice our faith Freely And for us to criticise beliefs and ideologies and other faiths as part of advancing the Islamic cause, we need to, at the same breath, accept insults and critiques against those things which we hold sacred and, 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 and revere. Why? Why? Because then the same things, then, then, then when we start calling for censorship, on criticizing the Prophet sallallahu and those things which we hold dear and revere and sacred then when we start giving dawah to refute the Christians, the, the, the Jews
1: the atheists, then those same censorship- They already do that they already, okay, there are groups okay, let's look at the LGBT group LGBT, they are able to criticize Muslims they are able to insult Islam, they are able to attack uh, any institution that they want, are you allowed to uh, use certain words against them? Are you allowed to criticize them on certain beliefs? Are you allowed to uh, call their entire philosophy and worldview as fahisha and on and on? No, you're not. They're protected from that, right? Mm. So, mm. are they, is that a violation of this wonderful freedom that supposedly applies to all or not? Mm. No, it's not. But we also know that that's as a result okay. of.
0: That's it no no, no, but, no, no, but hold on That's as a
1: result Why of, do they get it? Why do they get those kinds of privileges? No, Why do they
0: get those kinds of protections? No, because one of the founding principles of secular liberal democracy Is the fact that religion is up for discussion and critique or mockery Whereas oh, whereas whereas, yeah. ra- whereas racial groups and now sexual persuasions are not Because it falls under Why? hate speech Why?
1: Who decided this? Who? Who, de- Who made the distinction that this is hate speech Okay eh? and insulting the Prophet Sallallahu or criticizing any ex- uh, uh, part of Islam is not, is not hate speech. Who decided this?
0: Western establishments, governments, policy makers. Okay.
1: So this is a rigged game. It's a rigged game and we are supposed to not only play the rigged game, but we're also su- supposed to praise it and praise it as this wonderful principled pinnacle of freedom and enlightenment as Jonathan Brown has done. No, sorry, I don't accept this.
0: Moving on but still related to what we just discussed here. When a Mufti or a scholar arrives at a particular ruling with regards to a new reality facing Muslims, like some of the things that we've just discussed, right? Muslims living as minorities in, in the Western world, in light of immense pressures from the LGBT community, from Zionists, whatever it may be, and whatever challenges that a Muslim faces, or as a community we face, But ulama, they obviously go through a particular process to deal with new realities, right? And from my very limited understanding, when it comes to issuing fatwa, uh, an alim or a mufti or a mujtahid looks at, obviously, the Islamic source text, Quran, Sunnah. Sahaba. If a consensus exists amongst the companions on a particular given matter and then of course deductive analogy, kias. but they also have to look at things like maslaha, masada, the harm and benefit, the ease and difficulty for Muslims they have to look at the overarching objectives of the Sharia which it seeks to uh, 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 preserve, the maqasid it looks at urf and then they obviously arrive at a particular uh, decision and it is these decisions which you have a particular issue with, with some of the scholars, that they've looked at a particular reality. They've looked at anti-Muslim hate crime and anti-Muslim discrimination and sentiment is at an all-time high. Muslim women and elderly are being attacked. Our message is that there's graffiti all over it. Somewhere somewhere down the line, in some areas, the interest of the Muslims in terms of anti-Muslim laws and Islam, Islamophobia, aligns in some, er- some points with the LGBT community so therefore in these specific issues it may be permissible to work with them to achieve an interest or objective for the Muslims now they've deducted that through their skill set years that they've invested in understanding and learning and applying the sacred sciences which you admittedly just not too long ago said that whilst you're learning you don't have those skill sets so why do you have a problem with a ruling, or a fatwa, or an approach which ulama, or in your case, or how you describe as compassionate imams, have arrived through a particular scholarly process?
1: Okay, where is that uh, fatwa? Show me the fatwa. The fatwa. The-, the fatwa
0: is usually
1: is disseminated
0: through extensive articles through lectures. No, no,
1: no, 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 no. Show me the fatwa. Articles aren't fatwa. Uh, a speech on YouTube is not a fatwa. Show me the fatwa that clearly shows the reasoning. All of this, you're talking about the Quran, Sunnah, Qiyas, Ijma'ah, the Akhwal the, of the Sahaba. Show me, where are they bringing these, uh, you know, these proofs to justify what their policy? Then we can talk about it because some of the compassionate Imams that you might be referring to, they're not, a, they're not Muftis. They, they have no right to be engaged in issuing fatawa, and they don't even claim to, even though they do it. They, they make these kinds of statements, grand sweeping statements, they don't have the training or the specialty in issuing fatwa, let alone fiqh. They haven't, their specialty is not fiqh, and then fatwa is a whole different level to be able to actually issue fatwa. So anyway, you might claim that some of these compassionate imams do have that level of training that we can consider them a mufti. Fine, show me the fatwa that they have, okay? And there's no, uh, see, the thing about Islam is that there's no idea that just because you have the ijazah, just because you have the certification, that everything that you say now has to be accepted regardless, there are many, there are many who Claim to be muftis. In fact, in your neck of the woods, we you have muftis that are constantly attacking Islam and releasing all kinds of bizarre and problematic views. And then when they're critiqued, they say, "No, well, I have this ijazah and you don't."
0: No, no those particular individuals—they belong in a circus. Let's put them aside, those, yeah <laughs> But
1: the point—well, some of these compassionate imams are following in the footsteps of these clowns.
0: Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Look, 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 look. The point I'm trying to make is, Dan Barfia is that. When some of these individuals who, look, we can't deny, I mean, I mean okay, I mean, I mean let's yes, we can.
1: Yes, we can deny. No,
0: no, no, but we, but no, what I'm saying <laughs> is that we can't deny the years that they have invested in learning the sacred sciences. In terms of understanding the nas of Islam, instead of understanding classical Arabic
1: and accessing the the meanings to derive for rulings and approaches. Some of them, some of them, you'd be very surprised, their level of knowledge or lack thereof. Some Uh, of you, you'd be very surprised.
0: Okay, the good thing you've done throughout this podcast is that just for the sake of hypothetical scenarios, you've conceded to some of my points. I beg you concede to this one. Just for this, let's play this out. Can we? Okay, go ahead. Okay, so let's play this out. Let's say that they've gone through this process. And they've looked at the situation of the Muslims and the difficulties that they're facing in Western, in, in the Western world. And they've arrived at a de- decision that for the sake of advancing the interests of Muslims on the issue of, let's say, anti-Muslim hate crime laws or Islamophobia, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that it may be permissible in particular instances to ally yourself with the LGBT community, because they too are a, on paper, discriminated com- uh, communities. So therefore, there might be some overlaps in where the interests and objectives align. If that's the case, and they have got their ijtihad wrong, is it not the case that if they did this without a nefarious agenda and with sincerity, and to seek closeness and the truth to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that if they got it wrong, they'll get one reward in the hereafter?
1: No. <laughs> Who is doing this ijtihad? Who is doing it and where is, you can't just say I did ijtihad in private, uh, and then I arrived at a conclusion and now I'm spreading it. You have to actually show and give reasons and proof for why you arrived at this particular conclusion assuming that you are qualified and you are a mufti many of those who are pushing this kind of lgbt alliance do not have those qualifications but let's just concede it and grant it for the sake of argument how would you Fine. Well,
0: how would you respond to how would you respond to to say well daniel if they don't have the qualifications, you certainly don't have those qualifications. So, what makes you in a position to critique them?
1: First of all, on this issue of LGBT, there are fatawa and there are statements that say this is completely haram to ally with these groups that are pushing a certain uh, homosexual agenda. There are fatwa on that question. Okay, so show me the fatawa that dispute that. You say that they exist or maybe they're in an article, it's not formalized as an actual official fatwa, fine. But when it comes to fatawa and, and fiqh in general, the scholars acknowledge that there is a component of fiqh that is concerned with al-waqia, the reality of a situation, the political reality, the social reality, the economic reality, philosophical, philosophically some of these issues. And you have to be able to make a judgment, whether it's for a fatwa or whatever, uh, on the basis of not only the scholarly information, the fiqh, but also on the reality, al-waqiyah, these factors. And on these factors, you don't get training for that within the madrasa, for the most part. That's not a part, you don't get an jaza in philosophy. You don't get an jaza in anthropology or economics. So in those issues, I argue in many cases that uh, some of these opinions about politics, they have far less to do with actual traditional Islamic knowledge and much more to do with a false understanding of uh, of the reality, a confused understanding of what liberalism is, what secularism really is, what feminism really is, what this homosexual agenda really is. It's an ignorance, of these realities and then if you are ignorant on these issues then to try to apply traditional knowledge onto them you're going to end up confused and misguiding others so whenever i criticize i've never criticized a fatwa from a mufti i've never criticized i've never criticized any legitimate uh, scholarly opinion and many of the time things i do criticize is just po- a political opinion from a compassionate imam who's playing as if he's a politician, who's playing as if he's a kind of social justice activist. okay? And they're not bringing fatawa. And by the way, I said that I'm studying and I'm in the process of learning uh, and deepening my knowledge of deen as a student of knowledge, but that doesn't mean I'm acting alone. Muslim skeptic has scholars involved who write and publish under their own names on muslim skeptic i have scholars who advise me and who make sure that i'm not publishing something that is contrary to deen that check my work and add corrections whenever i if i make a mistake they correct me on this and many openly publicly support the criticism that i'm making of these compassionate imams and they mirror those critiques and they add to those critiques so don't portray this as just this uh, daniel he's a quote-unquote disgruntled employee who is just taking on all of these figures no not at all it's me and there's many others as well together as a group joint me- collaboration that are who have seen all of these major problems from a minority. The compassionate Imams are a minority. They want to present themselves as if they are the majority status quo. In fact, they are the minority and we are the majority. And this kind of reaction of, oh, where have you studied? This is a childish deflection that's taking away from the substance of what we are uh, bringing against them.
0: Okay, I'm I'm not being childishly deflective here. May I ask? <laughs> may, may, may I ask who some of your mashayikh uh,
1: are? Go onto Muslim Skeptic, yep. and you can see the names. Yep. Look at the Yaqeen Review. Okay. Look at the Yaqeen Review, and they're mentioned. They're listed by name. Okay. okay. Look at on any social media channel, and you can see the names of individuals, scholars, who are supporting and promoting. I often go on their podcasts. They come onto my podcast on Muslim Skeptic Live. I've had multiple knowledgeable scholarly uh, imams come onto my podcast. I've been on their podcast. If they saw, if they said that I was doing something wrong, why would they do that? Why would they participate like that? In terms of my own teachers that I've studied with in the past, I can name you many of them. Uh, the issue is that they will be attacked and they have been attacked. I mentioned to you the example of the uh, teacher, scholar who just liked one of my posts and immediately was brought in front of his board, contacted by this kind of mafia, mm. this celebrity mafia that wants to punish anyone who supports this kind of work. So I'm by mentioning their names, I'm uh, putting them in actual financial harm okay. uh, and potential family harm. So I mean, anyone who wants to know about who I studied with, I'm happy to discuss that with them and how about this, instead of worrying about this ad hominem, you're not credentialed, bring an actual argument, mm. okay, prove, if I'm so unqualified and so ignorant, just show it very clearly how, where my mistakes are, just prove it, but, right? But, but, Th- then you can dismiss me, then you'll, people will realize, wow, this guy is an ignoramus, mm. no one should be listening to him, and then khalas, okay. problem
0: solved. By, by the very virtue that when you were talking about al-waqiyah and, and those aspects, uh, of 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 uh, the deen Which is generally political Where you're looking at the social, the economic, the political And so forth Why can it not be the case Daniel That these are new realities And that where certain positions and, and certain approaches are not so binary They're not so black and white So clear in halal and haram And that we are dealing with new challenges And the environment is very different To what it was in the past So therefore clinging on to what would be seen as, I don't like using this term Medieval principles and medieval uh, approaches and, and and not having a more kind of a robust approach To the many challenges which Muslims are facing as minorities in the West Why can it not just be the case that these individuals Who you describe as compassionate Imams Have assessed a particular reality And therefore, okay, well from our understanding and from our skill set And maybe even from their teachers, yeah if they've consulted them, that we have arrived at a decision that on this specific issue, it's permissible.
1: Okay. Let's see the fatwa. Put the fatwa in front of us and we'll read it and then we'll judge it and then other scholars will come. It won't be me. Okay. Other scholars will come and read that fatwa and they'll judge it on its merits and see if there's actually a case here. This is how scholarship is done. It's not done through this weight of your... Uh, popularity, that you're a popular figure, a da'i, and you just have an opinion, and then we have to assume that, oh, this is based on your, mashallah, learned ijtihad. <laughs> uh, there, there's nothing like that in Islam. You have a claim that you want to make is based on uh, sound fundamental qawaid and understanding of the deen. Prove it. You need to write something, okay? You need to write a fatwa, you need to write a position paper, and then be open to others critiquing it mm. and determining whether what you have said is correct or not. Okay, look. It's very simple. Okay, look, we
0: know that it is very much a part of the Islamic tradition, normative Islam, and one of the fundamental beliefs and practices of the Muslim that he enjoins in good and forbids evil. In fact, Allah tells us in the Quran, in Surah Al-Imran, that in fact we are the best nation raised from amongst mankind, and it's caveat to in joining good, forbidding evil. However, on that point, where we refute heresy, or even in some cases we have to make takfir on, on, on those who have apostated, or, or have that level of kufri beliefs and so forth, many classical scholars, giants, right, even dating back to the Salaf al-Saliheen, that said that when one embarks, on enjoining good and forbidding evil And refuting heresy uh, And so forth That there are two conditions And those two conditions is having the relevant knowledge In that particular matter that you're going to refute And justice To be just and to be sincere Right Let's put sincerity to a side Because we can't look into a man's heart But let's look at the issue of relevant knowledge And being just Are we in agreement so far on on, on this? Yes. Okay, so with regards to your style of how you've called out certain individuals and organizations by name Do you feel that you've been just to them? And that you've not transgressed their rights as a Muslim to another Muslim When on your thread people are slating them, calling them all kinds of names uh, You know, all based on a post or an article that Daniel has posted
1: Well, I don't condone everything that people comment and I don't even see most of the comments some posts will get hundreds of comments And I won't necessarily be able to see every single one. That's the nature of public discourse Uh, when it comes to uh, criticizing specific individuals, I have a very um, clear uh, policy and I follow it to the letter When it's just me criticizing someone Which is? Obviously we have criticisms on Muslim skeptic That are not written by me Like the review of Yaqeen Institute Is I'm part of it But others contributed to that as well And it's a very academic, clear style Basically all it involves is We go on public information Public information that is uh, available that you can verify you can go for yourself and check and make sure that this person that we're criticizing has in fact said what we're claiming that they have said everything is public and open nothing secret nothing oh I had a private conversation with so with Fulan and he said this but you nothing extra- like that okay but in in, in the- no leaked emails no leaks no private everything is public that this person chose to reveal and chose to put in public then we criticize for that public information. second principle, second principle, I don't make the judgment, okay? I don't make the judgment that this imam is a deviant or I do not, I never make takfir, I've never made takfir of a, a particular person. And all I do and all we do is we just place, we shed light on this public statement and then I ask a question, is this correct is this legitimate khalas that's it then the the issues are so egregious that the average muslim reading it with a basic level of knowledge understands that yeah this is this is it. like for example you you brought up yasir qadi i didn't do anything other than take that clip and post it but right? Is it, ju- is, it, is it? I didn't say anything. I didn't add it, any commentary. I didn't add any editorializing. I just posted the two-minute da- clip. It speaks for itself,
0: Daniel. But is it is it truly just, bro, to take a two-minute, four-minute clip from an hour event, our lecture, or to take two lines or two paragraphs from a two thousand-word essay? Is that truly being just, bro?
1: Yeah, it is. If it's if it it actually represents, okay. If it represents what he actually said, and it's not d- d- taken out of context to uh, deceive the audience, then it is fair. That th- that was a distinct question that he was asked, and he made those statements that the that uh, the hudud are bizarre and problematic, and that the Muslims need to talk to update them. That's what he said. So you can see and it was linked like the full video is linked in the comments and people can see the context if they're if they're questioning that and obviously it was problematic enough for the man himself uh Sheikh Yasser himself to issue a clarification unsatisfactory in my opinion but he thought that there was some kind of clarification needed that he provided
0: okay what about what about in the in the yaqeen report that you did um you know you in certain aspect in certain parts of that throughout that report that you did You know, there there, there were sentences and paragraphs out of very long, elaborated pieces, which you decided to pull out and critique. Is that just?
1: How can you do any kind of academic work without quoting and pulling citations, pulling quotes to criticise? Okay. Is, is, okay fine you d- I don't understand what you mean
0: Okay what I'm saying is that bro If there's a 3000 word academic piece Published in Yaqeen Institute Or in any other publication And you decide to take Two sentences or two paragraphs And to add to that As we say in Desi language Add Masala to it Right <laughs> And try to uh, you know Come to your own conclusions Conclusions which perhaps Was not the conclusions of the author And presenting it as something else
1: Show me an example of that All of the articles that we're criticizing We... look, I, I don't... Uh, in philosophy When you study academic philosophy The number one um, problem that you can fall to it, uh, fall into Is arguing on bad faith Meaning you misrepresent your interlocutor And you distort his view to make him look bad So this is like a straw man uh, So this is a big no-no And I don't do that I present what the author actually believes and I criticize that. So when you have an article on Yaqeen that says that Muslims need to accept evolution and there's no uh, problem with Muslims accepting the traditional evolutionary account that human beings have been evolved from apes and pre-hominids, that's the position of the paper. And I'm criticizing that position or I'm presenting that position as being problematic. Another author, uh, or another, someone else working with Yaqeen, a scholar, was criticizing their paper on uh, anti-Semitic hadith and how certain hadith might be seen as anti-Semitic if you interpret it in, in this or that way. So that scholar, Sheikh Khaytham, he goes and analyzes their argument, not cherry-picking, not misrepresenting. No, this is actually what they believe when they're talking about how hadith should be understood in XYZ, way or when Jonathan Brown has an article the whole article is on the basis of can non-muslims who know about islam they have all the, they have an understanding of islam yet they reject it can they be forgiven by allah even if they're mushrikeen and Jonathan Brown says yes is possible okay then this is something that the paper is saying i'm not cherry picking quotes to make that argument
0: mm. Do you ever, have you ever had any regrets about what you've been doing for the last two years or so? Have you had any regrets, any sleepless nights, any guilt uh, about what you've done?
1: Alhamdulillah, I uh, sleep like a baby. Alhamdulillah. I'm not, I don't have any regrets. I mean, people have been saying, Daniel, you're going to regret it. Uh, they've been telling me this for, you know, seven years. A- anything that you, Anytime you have a kind of com- uh, confrontational approach... The naysayers are going to push back on you. So if you criticize uh, Israel, you criticize the Zionists and you want to defend uh, your Palestinian brothers, someone will say, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to go against these Zionists? Are you sure you want to put your neck out there to criticize? Uh, You're going to regret it. You're gonna wish you were more diplomatic. You're gonna wish that you pulled your punches
0: but what about what what about perhaps bro you know meeting allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment and you know having all these deeds and misdeeds presented in front of us and where we thought we were doing something just and correct and right that it's actually done more harm than good and you know don't you ever think about that just out of curiosity
1: Yeah, of course, everyone should be thinking about their uh, mistakes and sins and can they improve and will Allah forgive them, turning back to Allah So I'm not saying that I don't have mistakes or that what I've been doing is uh, perfect but the actual purpose uh, and intention of bringing to light these kinds of uh, problems and the misguided da'wah of compassionate imams I have no regrets on that alhamdulillah, and I pray that I have the sincere intention uh, for the sake of Allah and I take advice and work with numerous scholars, senior scholars, senior, more senior than your these compassionate Imams that are the object of critique, I'm working with them and they also publicly make statements against them but just because it's not on your newsfeed doesn't mean that they're not being making those statements. So, inshallah, Allah accepts. Inshallah, any mistake that I'm making will be corrected, and Allah will forgive. But I just ask you to make uh, du'a for me and um, uh, ha- support me through your du'a.
0: Likewise, I know you. I know you've given me two hours of your generous time, and we are coming towards the end. But I do need to ask you two things, and I apologize in advance that perhaps. It's not being given the time that it perhaps deserves question number one how do you feel that there are many, many genuine legitimate grievances amongst Muslim women who have been in very problematic marriages where their husbands have beaten them up very badly right um, have been very unjust and oppressive to them uh, where sisters for whatever reasons, whether they have been sexually abused or or they come from abusive um, you know, families or relationships you know, a plethora of many issues that Muslim women and sisters are experiencing both in the Muslim world and in the Western world that as a result of this legitimate lived experience trauma grievance, that certain ideas become very appealing to them right? Because when they have Gone to, uh, you know, uh, imams or Muslim organizations, they've been told, you know, have sabr, have sabr, or, or you know, what happened to you is wrong, but this is haram, etc., etc. Because one of the things that I've seen also criticized, um, you've been criticized for, Dan doesn't understand that there are genuine grievances that Muslim women face. And that therefore, because of these genuine real life experiences and grievances and trauma, this is why they gravitate towards feminism. And this is why they gravitate towards problematic ideologies And that we're going to entrench them further into these ideologies if we don't try to bring them back compassionately
1: Yeah, so I mean this is something that people raise but it doesn't really make sense Like I understand that there are uh, cases of abuse, cases of trauma, cases of oppression From Muslim men against Muslim women Uh, There's no doubt about the the fact that that does occur Uh, But we have to ask the question of what does... uh, How is this going to be served? Uh, How is this serving a larger narrative that is contrary to Islam? Mm. Uh, If these kinds of... uh, Because if we accept the premise that... um, it is because of Islam that Muslim men oppress their women. Yeah, so then so, this is yeah, yeah. so
0: so, uh, so so basically uh, uh, let me just let me just quickly because of time. Basically when you take that argument that there is a, a an intrinsic problem of misogyny and patriarchy amongst Muslim men and therefore this is what leads to this kind of oppression how is that going to be the solution to addressing your trauma and your issues, right?
1: Yeah, I mean of course feminism is uh, It's uh, the analogy that I use is like, okay, there is a a problem of abuse, but the solution is worse than the problem. The medicine is more poisonous than the disease. Does that make sense? So, uh, Islam is providing this... Yeah, so Islam is what's providing the solution to these kinds of issues of abuse I mean, if granted that we legitimately identify Is this actually abuse? Is this actually a violation of a person's rights? Because many of the things that the Muslim feminists are raising as abusive or oppressive are not actually abusive because we define what is abuse or what is a violation of rights according to Islam, not no, according no, to no, the feminist no, values, no, right? No, of
0: course, okay, no, no. But, but let's talk about the issues where there is clear injustice, right? According to an Islamic definition, whether that be uh, a, a husband who's who, who, who's on substance abuse, you know, beats up his wife, and you know, you know, genuine case of you know, I mean, I'm not talking about those kind of. Uh, Externally defined rights and wrongs for us. We're talking about genuine cases of where these things, in the same way that you just said, that you understand that whilst is is the medicine worse than the solution? What was that you said? The solution is worse than me. which one did you say? You, you gave a nice little analogy there. You said yeah, the, want...
1: the medicine is worse than the disease.
0: Okay, so in that in, in that same breath, do you not at least appreciate or understand how a Muslim woman? who has genuinely gone through what Islam defines as oppression and dhulm and wrongdoing can gravitate towards that, towards feminism, towards problematic ideologies and and that as a solution to address her issues?
1: It doesn't make sense because many of the Muslim women that are turning to feminism, Mm. it's not on the basis of legitimate grievances. Okay, You have women who are turning to feminism, Muslim women, because they say that, well, the Qur'an says huwa instead of hiya for referring to Allah. the The masculine pronoun is used in the Qur'an to refer to Allah instead of the feminine. This is contrary to gender equality, so I can't accept the Qur'an because this is a patriarchal book. Then they turn to feminism how, and some of them leave Islam. Many, no, no, wh- how, let, me finish, let me finish. Okay, go on, go on, let me go finish. Let me finish. So that's one example. Okay. There are some examples of women that say that Muslim women, I don't agree with the fact that an imam cannot be a woman. It can only be a man. This is contrary to women's equality and women's rights. I'm going to leave Islam. You have Muslim women who say that I don't agree that when I'm on my period, I can't fast and I can't pray. This is contrary to gender equality. I'm going to leave Islam. You have women who say that, well, I isn't it uh, shocking that in the Quran, there's an ayah that says, putting men as authorities over women. I disagree with this. This is contrary to gender equality. Okay, so are all of these women turning to feminism because of abuse? No, they're turning to feminism because they've been indoctrinated by ideology. That's the real reason that they are having these problems with Islam. They've taken on this feminist ideology.
0: And in, in addition to that, men can marry four women, can marry Jewish and Christian women. The women can't. Inheritance laws, on witness, and on and on. Witness conditions. Yes, the, the list is pretty long. Yeah, but the point I guess I'm trying to make is that Dan, are we then saying that those individuals are lost causes? And that there shouldn't be an effort to win them back and bring them back to the, the normative folds.
1: No, we should, uh, we should work hard to bring them back. But we do that by addressing the root source of the problem. The root source of the problem is the feminism. Mm. That's what's causing them to have a problem with uh, who uh, instead of he. Uh, that's the reason that they have a problem with polygyny and on and on.
0: You know, there's a reason why I, I, I specifically chose not to talk too much about feminism in this podcast because the next episode is with Sister Zara Faris. Uh, and, I'm, <laughs> and, I, and, I'm, and I'm dedicating that topic in more elaboration with her. My last question to What's you today. On? My last question to you today. Has the ship of reconciliation with compassionate imams sailed? Is that ship long gone now?
1: Uh, no, I mean, reconciliation uh, is not really the goal here. As I was trying to indicate before, I don't care if people hate me. A Everyone better way can to move me. forward.
0: That's... A better way to move forward.
1: Well, it depends on what that means. If it means a better way that they correct their mistakes, they stop. Preaching this diluted, sugar-coated Islam, they stop allying with the enemies of the Muslims, they stop working with counter countering extremism agencies, they stop all of this wrong that they're doing, then okay, that's a better way forward. And I don't have any kind of personal grudge. My only problem with these figures and these compassionate Imams are what they're doing to distort Islam and to hurt the interests of the Ummah, that's it. Once that goes away, then I don't have any personal problems with anyone and I don't want anyone to think of this as, this is Daniel doing this no all of us should have this kind of attitude towards those who are uh, doing wrong we have to enjoin good and we have to forbid evil as a community the more that we tolerate it so my, what i view myself as doing is that yeah i'm a little bit i might be a little bit more straightforward direct say it like it is but i think that inshallah that creates some space Okay, if we look at the spectrum of views, you have the views that are more uh, quote-unquote strict, and the ones that are more liberal, more lax. And if we just allow uh, the compassionate imams to rule the discourse, then this is going to continue to shift the community, right? Certain things are going to start becoming politically incorrect, the, t- the imam is no longer teaching about Jahannam, he's no longer teaching about uh, LGBT, he's not, no longer talking about Ta'a, the obedience of the wife to the husband. Those become outside the spectrum of acceptable discourse within the community if we allow these shifts to continue. So I try to bring it back, okay, counterbalance, by, by emphasizing those issues and hopefully restoring some balance where then there's room for someone such as yourself. So to say that okay, we're going to talk about LGBT but we're not going to do it like Daniel does it. We're going to talk about feminism but we're not going to talk about talking about it like Daniel does it or a Muslim skeptic does it or Al-Asna does it. Alhamdulillah, I think that's a a good result. So that's mm-hmm. the that's the strategy at least.
0: Inshallah, inshallah. Daniel, it was an absolute pleasure having you on, bro.
1: Alhamdulillah. It was a pleasure for me to have such a uh, combative host.
0: <laughs> nah, 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 nah! Don't say that. I remember when I was on, I when you invited me on after the Piers Morgan debate. Uh, you could have sh- fully shafted me, uh, <laughs> but, but, Alhamdulillah, but, Alhamdulillah. Just, just, just on your thoughts. Just on your thoughts. Would you? What's your views on the Muslims of the UK? Like generally, from what you've observed.
1: MashaAllah, I think that they're uh, very good in many aspects And I wish that the Muslim community in the US was more like uh, you in the UK Um, But, you know, I definitely look up to uh, so many of the brothers uh, Mm. in the UK And what they're doing, their dawah, their teaching Mm. So it's an inspiration, like it inspires me Like, okay, there are Muslims in the West who are still holding it down Mm. and are not willing to uh, compromise on Islam in these ways. So it's an inspiration to me personally. And whenever sometimes you find these arrogant uh, Yankees who will say that, oh, the UK, they're still 10 years behind us. Yeah,
0: yeah. like, well, what be, are you talking? We're happy to be 10 years behind. We don't care yeah. if you're 10
1: years behind. <laughs> 10 years behind means you're closer to the time of the Prophet. Yeah. <laughs> sallallahu We're, we're <laughs> more revo- removed. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah. Yeah, I
0: mean yeah. alhamdulillah. I mean, bro, I'll be honest with you. Um, Episode one of the Blood Brothers podcast was with Imran Munid from the Mad Mamluks and the, the discussion was UK Muslims versus US Muslims and I, and I don't like playing this. If there's one type of Asabiya I never want to entertain, we shouldn't entertain any kind of Asabiya because it's rotten and disliked, was, you know, all Brits and I mean, <laughs> America. But I've, I've always said this, I have never proclaimed to be a proud Brit Until I see the situation of the Muslims in the U.S., (laughs) that's the only time when I think, "You know what? Alhamdulillah, that my forefathers they came to the U.K. and that for some reason or another, the dawah and the activism here seems to be quite clearly and visibly more resistant to deformity for some reason or another." Um, How do you feel about people private messaging you, uh, praising you for the work? But very clearly they will never do that publicly how, how does that make you feel? I know you get a lot of that I know you must get a lot of that from people who have done You know what? May Allah bless you May Allah accept your work bro And These are prominent people These are people who are du'at and mashayikh But they will never do it publicly How does that make you feel?
1: Well in some cases I can understand Like they don't feel comfortable uh, Maybe they have kinds of uh, challenges And restrictions that I haven't been challenged with, Allah hasn't tested me with, so they have, you know, excuse and before Allah, so I don't judge anyone on that basis. Um, So, I mean, people have their personal decisions why Um, they might not want to speak out on a certain issue, and it might be a very good reason. Uh, But I hope that. People will see that myself and others who are speaking on this issue uh, Even Five Pillars, you're putting out material that is challenging the narrative And Mm. it's very important work that others are not willing to follow you in Other Muslim outlets are not willing to follow Five Pillars in these issues So I think that you'll agree with me that we want to inspire others to say that it's possible you can do this. You can do this and you won't be thrown into a prison. You won't be thrown into, even if that were the case, if that, you know, your life was on the line, uh, I don't know about myself. I haven't been tested with that, what decision I would make in those kinds of situations. Alhamdulillah, I've been blessed with uh, l- luxury and comfort in life. And it hasn't been a situation where I will lose something major. Uh, by speaking out So I don't know how I would react in that kind of situation I hope that Allah gives me uh, istiqama in that But um, in our situation now You can speak out against LGBT And it's allowed You might not be invited uh, to a certain university <laughs> To give a lecture You might not be invited to a certain masjid But who cares Like The truth is much more valuable than that and if we can inspire people to want to speak out on the truth and stay firm on the haqq, then may Allah accept that's, that's the only goal that we can ever have.
0: Ameen, I Ameen, I Ameen. I Jazakumullah khair bro. It's great having you on. Walaikum. Pra- keep us in your prayers and you'll be in ours likewise, Habib.
1: Inshallah Ameen.
0: Brothers and sisters, uh, that is all for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it of, of great benefit. Um, like this video. Share this video, leave a comment on the video, um, subscribe to the Five Pillars YouTube channel, and until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Blood Brothers Podcast,
1: a Five Pillars Production.